Yeah, let's go. Let's let's try for a solid hour. Let's try to I, go, Brooke. Brooke that's just not gonna happen. But uh, <laughs> do it. We can do it. You sweet summer child. <laughs> <laughs> we can do it. Oh, I miss uh, Hello and welcome to the I'm Thinking of Watching Things podcast year in review wrap up top ten extravaganza. We made it, guys. Yeah, we made it. <laughs> kind of did. We yeah, made by it. the skin off our, I don't know. What, what's the expression? Skin of your teeth. Yeah. Ew, God, yeah. <laughs> what I mean, we're stumbling into the finish line, or at least I am for sure. Um, we have our, our top 10 list for you guys. Uh, this is a special episode. I've been looking forward to it for a while. So many good movies to talk about, unless you're Brooke, who didn't see a single movie in 2020. Um, we got a good show for you. We have our every guest that has come on to the show has called in, called in, <laughs> has sent me a text that's like, here's my favorite of the year. And it's a little video that will play and uh, an audio as well. So it's going to be good. set up a voicemail line for people to call <laughs> into. Yeah. That's just like a call out to my friends to, to call me. <laughs> that's all. <I'm> <laughs> hey guys, I'm missing you. And the guy, the guy that left the comment on the video on the, one of the YouTube videos. Right from um, where was he from? Uh, I can't remember. I can't even pronounce his name, although I can spell it in my head. Uh, Rusan Van Winks. You should hit us up. We'll send you some uh, free. Uh, I'm thinking of watching things swag. Which, <laughs> oh, which, oh, we need swag. <laughs> It'll oh. just be like a photo, like a printed out photo of us. Aww, <laughs> digital just signature. A <laughs> uh yeah so without further ado brooke wants to keep this as short as possible because she hates talking to us so let's uh <laughs> let's no. hop right in um alicia let's uh let's start with your number 10 because i think it's a fun one to kick it kick it off with all right um number 10 for me also i need to preface by saying my rankings mean very little i have this like I'm allergic to ranking things and rating things and it um, stresses me out a lot. I spent like three hours in a spreadsheet yesterday um, for pretty much no reason. So uh, I like all the ones I'm gonna mention and I also like all my honorable mentions and they're all great and this is arbitrary. Okay, number 10, another <laughs> round. Um, directed by Thomas Winterberg or Winterberg? Um, I think it's Winterberg. I feel like I've heard people say Winterberg. Um, starring, of course, Mads Mikkelsen. Um, it is about a group of high school teachers um, who decide to experiment with um, being, at first, slightly buzzed all the time after they hear about some uh, guy who experimented with alcohol in that way. And then um, the experiment kind of uh, starts to uh, spiral out of control a little bit without spoiling anything but it's um, a really nice blend of kind of drama and comedy all the performances are great Mads is amazing and has one of the best um, dance <laughs> kind of numbers I've ever seen on film um, I some of you might have seen my letterbox review but I uh, right after the movie ended the credits were still rolling um, I heard Bitch Better Have My Money um, blasting out of my mom's iPad. 
<laughs> I turn to my right and see her frantically Google searching for any other videos of Mads Mikkelsen dancing. <laughs> um, so yeah, that speaks for itself. Um, I, I laughed, I cried. It's just really, it's really great. And the story behind it, uh, why the, the, the director uh, and writer made it um, is very touching and the themes go a little bit deeper than, um, you know, the ones on the surface, which, which are also great. But um, a lot of interesting stuff about kind of youth culture and drinking in Denmark that I didn't know about. Um, but yeah, highly recommend. Did anybody else watch it? Yeah, I saw it um, and I liked it. I, I definitely, I for all the reasons you mentioned, I, I also liked it. I. I was like, I was going to watch it with some friends, uh, well, roommates, uh, as the only friends that you can have in a pandemic. Um, <laughs> I was going to watch it with my roommates, and then two of them bailed, and so it was just me, but I had already had, like, one whiskey sour, and I was like, oh, like, I'll just, like, keep drinking with my buddies in the movie, and it'll be great, and then I got sad at the end. <laughs> um, it really or- is. It's like, drinking is beautiful. Oh, no, wait, wait, wait. Drinking is... <laughs> like life-threatening but also it's beautiful but also um it's the worst very it's a very interesting (laughs) tonally uh film and i i I actually like i really feel that about alcohol like sometimes i'll have like one or two drinks of me hanging out with a friend and i'm like this is amazing and like inhibition's gone anxiety relieved like yay and then i have like one more and i'm like i hate my life everything's the worst (laughs) and i think the film captures that fairly well uh for me Genuinely, I, um, this is the last thing I'll say, but it is like genuinely a very appealing idea that like, uh, I definitely do enjoy drinking as like the most at that level of literally just one or two beers in when you're slightly looser. And like, I don't know, it's such a simple concept, but um, I like that they made a movie about it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, nice. Arjun, what's your number 10? Uh, yeah, I, I'll give a little preface the same way Alicia did because I feel like I'm exactly the opposite. I, I'm an obsessive uh, list maker and ranker of anything in my life, and I, I love doing that as a hobby, I would say. Um, but I also felt the same kind of frustrations, if only because I feel like there's so much I missed out on, and I try to hold off uh, making my official personal top 10 list until the Oscars just because I like to just scratch every last ounce of the year uh, out of the bottle before I make my list. So this is tentative and I had trouble coming up with this 10th spot and ended up deciding to give a little love to a movie I haven't seen as much people really cape for um, because on revisit it was a movie I really loved quite a bit. Um, The Old Guard which was a Netflix movie that came out earlier this year and man in the one sense just being a sort of action movie on Netflix where the same types of movies have been lacking in quality a little bit even the same year we got Extraction which is just an abomination of a movie that I did not like very much um but in this hand you get a much more nuanced uh movie starring Charlize Theron and Kiki Lane who is really awesome she was in If Beale Street Could Talk and is one of my favorite young actresses and of course Harry Melling who seems like he was in literally every movie that came out this year. I can't confirm or deny that, but <laughs> it was directed by Gina Prince-Bythewood and 
was just really an action movie that I could get behind. It's not my favorite genre, but it was just so deep in its characters and so engaging in a way that a lot of movies I saw on Netflix this year really weren't. And it's stuck in my mind all these months later enough to rewatch it and really love it. And I recommend everybody check it out, even though, you know, I might not have loved it as much as I did a lot of the movies at the top of this list. It still is going to be one of the movies I remember most from 2020. That you, you've made the best argument for me watching that movie personally. Like I've just been so disinterested from it, every buzzword about it, like action, <laughs> Netflix, like it's not things that I'm interested in generally, but um, you make a good case and I'll have to catch up with that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, just as far as 2020 movies go, uh, it's very much about dealing with death and uh, the idea of living forever and immortality and when that starts to fade away, which in a year surrounded by death was something that uh, really rang a bell with me. So definitely worth checking out. Sure. Uh, Brooke, do you want to tell us about your 10 through 6 or uh, your number 10 or what? The rules <laughs> yeah. that you're creating for yourself? So excited. Uh hi guys <laughs> so you know i feel like everyone can relate 2020 bit of depression happening here or there uh for me it's manifested in um an inability and a disinterest in watching anything that isn't going to just like hug me and snuggle me up <laughs> and uh make me feel comforted which for me is like either comedies very light-hearted not good plot wise or like film general wise but you know just like here for a good time um or apocalypse disaster movies which make me feel better about my current situation <laughs> um because you know it's at least not that bad um so <laughs> that in mind uh i like literally could not did not watch many things that actually came out in 2020 um besides the like few ones that have made my top six list um and the ones that i mean i probably saw like maybe 15 movies from 2020 and i did not like most of them um and i definitely found myself like literally only being able to like get through 30 minutes of a movie and then just stopping because i just didn't have didn't have the mental capacity i I saw like the first 15 minutes of Tenet and I was like, no, 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 (laughs) this this isn't it. They started talking about backwards bullets and I was like, oh, I don't have the energy for this. So, you know, I'll revisit it though because it seemed interesting. You you Um, just, Brooke, don't think, just feel. I, uh, but like, I want to, I want to think a little bit, Um, but yeah. I think Nolan wants you too as well. Yeah. (laughs) but yeah, so anyways, <clears throat> that being said, um, I'm just going like, to do my own thing, talk about some things that I enjoyed this year for the first like four of them, um, and then six through one, I'll be back on the 2020 cinema train. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, for now, uh, number 10, I'm going to come in with that idea of um, apocalypse, and I'm going to talk about The Walking Dead. Uh, because I started watching The Walking Dead whenever it came out, um, because a boy that I had a crush on talked about The Walking Dead, and then I was like, wait, this is actually good, and then, like, three years later, he talked about wanting to, like, fuck a zombie, 
And that was when that uh, crush ended. Um, and then I just enjoyed the series on its own because I was like, oh, he's messed up in more ways than one. Um, but anyways, that was really, that was it for me. Uh, but I have a tendency to stop series um, the more that I like them. Um, basically what I'm saying is I have no follow through. Uh, so I stopped with The Walking Dead around season six, but <clears throat> I'm moving to Cleveland like five months ago or whatever. Um, my roommate and I have watched The Walking Dead consistently this entire time. So, you know, just a couple episodes here and there. Um, like, it was something I could count on every week and very much enjoyed it. So we're like into, we're ending, we're going past where like, we're approaching where I stopped. So we're like at the end of season six, starting season seven right now. So that's kind of why I want to like keep this short guys even though I just talked for a very long time about The Walking Dead um, I'm part of the problem is literally so that I can watch it after this before I have to go to bed but yeah really like it love apocalypse movies my, my roommate and I basically like pause it every three minutes to talk about like our strategy and like what we would do uh, in various scenarios we had a very interesting conversation last night um but yeah, I, I've literally made like a go bag under my bed uh, and I took our only good kitchen knife and like stowed it away in my little backpack. Uh, so we have no sharp knives for like chopping onions, but for killing people in the apocalypse, I have it tucked away. So yeah, Walking Dead. I mean, I don't know if I'd recommend it, but if you're depressed <laughs> um, and you have a roommate, <laughs> then I would. So yeah, that's my number 10. <laughs> Brooke, that's a very like Kaidu cinema pick. Like honestly, like they wow. they they picked like uh, Twin Peaks season three as their best film of 2017. So I think honestly, you're the most cinephile of all of us for choosing. Yeah, that that's as that's 10. that was what I was trying to say, but mm -hmm. I didn't want to you know embarrass you guys. Um, no. But <laughs> I was letting the full, audience uh, to go full Kaye. She'll have to put a M Night Shyamalan movie somewhere on this list. So I'm oh. <laughs> I absolutely oh, would. Yeah. He's from Pennsylvania. I did a sixth grade report on him uh, where I accidentally, to glue my poster, I accidentally used a Hillary Duff chapstick instead of uh, a glue stick and it all fell apart. Uh, but my love for him did not love Symes so much. I watched that probably like four times this year. Signs <laughs> rules. We should have a Shyamalan episode. We should. Oh my god. Yes, I, right. I would be down for that. Coming to you 2021. All of Shyamalan's uh, <laughs> filmography. This is not a joke. Caleb might seem like he's joking a little bit. Yeah, no. <laughs> we'll make it happen. I will, I will fish out my poster that is covered in chapstick. <laughs> um, nice. Uh, I guess it's my turn to share number 10. This is like my only deep cut that I'm that I've that I put on this list um in this my number 10 is the Chinese film Striding into the Wind uh directed by Wei Shuzhan um I watched this out of like a desire to break out of what everybody else was watching because I have to be unique and different um and so when the Chicago International Film Festival announced that they were going virtual and not only were they going virtual but we're going virtual to the public and in not a New York film festival way where they were like you only 100 people can see Nomadland or whatever they're like anybody can see this um, and I thought that was really cool so I really loved the opportunity to like go in completely blind to this film um, and I watched a couple others the Greek film Apple 
Apples, yeah, um, by the Yorgos Lanthimos light guy. Um, but going into striding into the wind blind was a lot of fun because I didn't have any expectations. I didn't have any what critics thought. There was literally no thought shaping my viewing and I ended up having a great time. It's about a film student. Um, so automatically I was relating. Uh, a 20-something a wayward film student who's not really trying hard and isn't really getting anywhere in life. Um, and it's a really interesting movie because it's like part coming of age, part buddy comedy, part road trip movie, part movie about making movies, part romance, part commentary on like a specific brand of Chinese ennui. Uh, and it's uh, it's just a very skilled like balancing act of getting all those tones and by a first time filmmaker actually. Um, and while it's not quite indie because it's produced by like Alibaba, which is like the number one media conglomerate in the world. Um, it, it is very indie feeling and the guy put in a lot of heart into it. Um, and I have some like personal nostalgia to Beijing because I spent a summer there uh, in 2019. And so I think he captured the city really well and in not the way that most like films would capture Beijing because a lot of places would go to the pretty places or the forbidden city or, you know, uh, really nice looking hutongs or something. But this guy actually captured what I felt to be real Beijing. So. Um, definitely really liked it, Shredding Into the Wind. I don't think that you can stream it anywhere yet, but I recommend it when it becomes available. All right, and let's hear from Eric. Uh, he's gonna tell us his favorite film of the year, um, which is Shithouse. So I'm excited to hear what he has to say. Hi, I'm Eric Wells, and I'm gonna talk about my favorite movie of 2020, which was Shithouse by Cooper Wraith. Uh, it, it, this is definitely a subjective pick because, geez, why would the college sophomore dealing with the emotional isolation of going to college during a pandemic uh, get so much out of the movie about the college freshman dealing with the emotional isolation that's just inherent to the college experience, regardless of a pandemic? So, it, you know, it's definitely a little biased, uh, but I think objectively it also just has a really strong voice for a first feature. Uh, I think a lot of people, myself included, probably saw Lady Bird and thought, oh, I can write a semi-autobiographical movie about my experiences as a young adult, and it'll be great. And most of them would probably be shitty, but this one isn't, which is kind of a miracle in and of itself. Um, and the two lead performances are fantastic, both from uh, Cooper Rafe playing a fictionalized version of himself, and Dylan Galula, who I think is a, just a really strong uh, rising comedic actress, and she has this great sort of blunt sensibility that matches really well with the guardedness and vulnerability that uh, Cooper Rafe brings to his character. Uh, and I, I recommend it very highly to anyone, regardless of, of if you're in college now or if it's you know been a while. Um, and then just other than that, I think this was also a really strong year for documentaries. The next three movies on my top five were all documentaries. Uh, Time by Garrett Bradley, and Dick Johnson is Dead by Kirsten Johnson, and uh, David Byrne's American Utopia, which was directed by Spike Lee. Um, and there's a lot of other great movies this year as well, but those four uh, and a few others were definitely the ones that uh, stuck out to me the most. There he is, my bearded boy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank oh, and he's wearing a Talking Heads shirt for it. I just realized, nice <laughs> job there, Eric. Eric nice like, followed me on LinkedIn or whatever, requested my LinkedIn and me I, feel, too. I feel like it's gonna be so good for my career like I feel like this is it <laughs> like yes we're in he's doing we things it. take me with him <laughs> <laughs> uh did y'all see shithouse did anybody else Arjun you did right 
Yeah, I think I need to rewatch it. I, I was kind of drunk when I watched it, and I don't think I really got all of it, but I was just kind of bored by it. I don't have much else to say except for Envy. So if you want to say anything, go ahead. Yeah, I, I was also, I put off watching it because I was afraid that I'd be like so jealous of this 22-year-old who made a feature and th that I'd like just be anxious about my own life while watching it. But um, I, I really wasn't. I was really charmed by it. I think its strength is... Sh is showing the awkwardness of like not only college but just real life films are often an escape and like even a lot of the films on my list are just like that is not how real people talk or how real people interact um but i think that shithouse really does capture how an anxious like guy tries to flirt with a pretty girl and how he can often fall on his face but can also come back with something witty and it doesn't feel forced witty it feels like oh that's that's like kind of funny like not um not but not in like a snappy filmy way but in a natural way and so um yeah i, I like shithouse i think that's a good pick and i'm glad that eric mentioned so we can talk to talk about it um moving on let's talk uh about our number nines arjun you want to kick us off with number nine yeah, absolutely, I do. Um, and my number nine in this absolutely could have been higher on this list and might be by the time I had some time to sit with it. Although I've had a lot of time. It's been summer since I saw it. Um, it's Blow the Man Down, directed by Bridget Savage Cole and Danielle Crudy. Um, just this weird Fargo-esque mystery story set in Massachusetts with some of the most um, hilarious might not be the right word because, you know, I don't want to make fun of anybody's culture, but I'll say it, hilarious New England accents that have been put to screen at least this year. And uh, it's a movie about these two girls uh, on the day of their mother's funeral who run into a wild string of events that encompass prostitution, murder, uh, fish, and a lot of other icy, cold, uh, mysterious things that pack this world that just totally had me hooked from the moment that the movie started. It includes maybe one of my favorite performances of the year total and definitely one of my favorite supporting actress performances from Margot Martindale who was just incredible in this movie and also one of my favorite soundtracks of the year that includes some sea shanties that still five months later are stuck in my head. Um, Blow the man down. I, I can't recommend it enough. It's on Amazon Prime. You can go watch it right now if you want to and I have multiple times and I've loved it every time. I was a big fan of Blow the Man Down. It definitely made my top 20. Um, I, what I loved, what sticks out in my memory of Blow the Man Down was how much the directors like were doing direct homages to horror movies I love and while that like can be tedious to some people I just really it's like oh my god that's the shot from The Shining and it's right. like right there and it's and it's not even like a horror movie it's just like them re taking bits and pieces from the way a horror movie is directed to give their film some extra flavor and I, I was I really liked it I think that's a good pick Arjun. Yeah, and what a year for June Squibb, who was also in what a wonderful movie, Hubie Halloween, which we covered on this podcast. We are a, a pro June Squibb podcast, as far as I go. <laughs> I also loved Blow the Man Down, and it is like insanely refreshing to see a movie that has so many female characters that are, I, no one's a Mary Sue, like there are evil ones and they're good ones and there are complicated ones everyone is at least a little bit complicated it's women helping women it's women fighting with women it's women like being assholes exploiting other women 
I um it, there's just like so many dimensions that should be in pretty much every movie but sadly somehow is still lacking um but I mean completely separate from that it just is great and definitely makes the most out of its um pretty restrained runtime so yeah uh Brooke why don't you share with us your number nine film <laughs> sure film um okay uh I will just say number nine is gonna be I'm gonna cheat again because this doesn't matter um for the rules uh no no no, it matters a lot but (laughs) doesn't at all um so number nine I will share two of my favorite comfort watches that will make me laugh every time that I watch them within somewhat recent years um, two comedies that, I don't know, they're not amazing, but I just love them and I could literally rewatch them a million times. Okay, one is Spy with <laughs> Melissa McCarthy. Don't know if you've seen it. It's just hilarious and it's particularly hilarious uh, for me because in one of her, so she's like a spy, but she's like, I just like Melissa McCarthy. I'm a Gilmore Girls person. Wow, she's grown from there. <laughs> Who would have thought she'd be the most successful, but I just really love her comedies, um, but Spy in particular is just so funny to me. If you haven't seen it, she is kind of like a behind the scenes, I think it's like CIA person or whatever, um, who is forced out into the field. And <laughs> there's one disguise that she wears right at the beginning um, that looks exactly like my Aunt Rachel. Shout out to Aunt Rachel. <laughs> and she's supposed to be like a very pathetic like cat lady so much so she looks like her that the first time I saw it I like paused and I like screenshotted went to my aunt's Facebook and like ran to my dad who is that aunt's brother um and we all laughed and it was amazing and was literally like watching my aunt perform in this movie (laughs) is uh is aunt Rachel a listener of the podcast (laughs) I don't think she is but it's a compliment because we loved you in that film aunt Rachel (laughs) um but yeah it's just so fucking funny and I love it so much my other comfort watch that I watch a lot um is where the Millers uh, there's just like the monologue or whatever in there about the the haircut that he wants is like my one of my favorite lines in cinematic history. <laughs> um, just love it so much. So funny. And I watched a lot of both of those movies throughout this year. Um, but yeah, I watch it like <laughs> when the week that were the Millers um, that I watched it for the first time, I watched it with my parents and we watched it literally like seven times within like a like a five day time period we really liked it um but yeah so those are two of my if you're just if you're interested to know those are two of my comfort watches uh neither from 2020 but very heavily used in 2020 so yes it's funny we're the miller well both of those i think are comedies that like far exceeded expectations yeah and um where the Millers is one of those movies that like my friends and I for some reason watched like every day of 2000 whatever like our 10th or 11th grade year <laughs> um yeah I don't, it is also a classic for me I like those picks good comics thank you thank you <laughs> so I'm gonna go ahead and share my number nine um 
which is Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Um, I don't know. I think, Arjun, you got a chance to see it last night I saw on Letterboxd. Um, we were thinking about doing it for uh, a podcast episode, but craziness of the holidays, you know, pushed us to, to do the holiday episode instead. Um, but yeah, Marini's Black Bottom is great. And I wish that we had had the chance to talk to it because I think there's a lot to talk about in it. It's a uh, directed by George C. Scott based off a play by August Wilson. It's a film about the recording of a blues record in Chicago um, with Viola Davis playing real life mother of the blues, Ma Rainey and Chadwick Boseman playing a fictitious trumpet player uh, and they have opposing ideas of how their music should be recorded and how it should sound. Um, and while their disagreements may be the primary source of drama and tension in the film, the underlying evil of white profit pulses beneath everything else the characters say and do. And um, I thought it was really powerful. I, uh, I've been seeing a lot of people saying like, yeah, this is a good movie, but you can tell it's a play. And I just really don't understand why that's a negative um, because I think it does well to be cinematic while retaining the power of what a play brings, which is performance. And uh, I think the performances are really stand out here. Chadwick Boseman deserves the Oscar. Viola Davis deserves the Oscar. Um, and also I just really love like mid-budget movies starring movie stars like that's a that's a thing that like podcasts like the big picture talk about a lot and I think this really scratches that itch where you get some great performances and some like very clearly like mm -hmm. Oscar moments TM but um it didn't matter to me when I was so sucked in um and I do also just real quick want to praise the editing of the film because I thought it was really stand out in the way it did it because I think that a lot of films based on plays or a lot of films that are centered in performances and monologues have a, like, that it's really easy to sit back and just let the performer perform and not cut away from it at all. And there is certain power to that and that does have its own merits. But I think the film was really great about cutting during a monologue and showing a different angle. And Chadwick Boseman during his great monologue about his family history is, you know, uh, being shown from, you know, a normal like medium close up. And then all of a sudden you catch him from this like really low and like kind of far away angle. And he looks so small in the frame and all of a sudden the words he's saying take on new meaning. And uh, yeah, I just, I really appreciated everything about it. It's also a tight minute 30 on Netflix or not hour 30. Minute 30. Minute 30 wow, is that is short tight. film of the year. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I uh, I really liked it. Yeah, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, my number nine. Yeah, uh, I watched that earlier today. Um, wasn't quite as big of a fan as you, but definitely agree on those Viola Davis and Chadwick Boseman performances. I would just be the only like real negative I'd have to say is I feel like they brought those performances almost completely to life. I didn't think it was a very good script adaptation, but what was on the screen, especially from those two actors, was extraordinary. And I've yet to see, you know, Nomadland, which I know is a lot of people's pick for best actress, but Vail Davis cannot be upset if she takes that home. My goodness. And I think it seems like Chadwick will. So Coleman Domingo is also great in this, which I think people are overlooking. Um, he's great in Euphoria. I forget his character's name in Euphoria, um, but he's like 
sort of Rue's sponsor in Euphoria, and he he also does great here, and all all of the performances in this film. Um, but yeah, that's uh, that's uh, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Let's pop on to Alicia with your number nine, um, which you share with Brooks number four. So we're gonna go ahead and knock out Brooks number four uh, with this pick. Cool. Uh, well, my number nine, and I guess Brooks number four is Dick Johnson is Dead, directed by Kirsten Johnson. Um, I don't think I have to say a lot about this since we have a whole episode on it. But what I can say is that I cried for literally every single minute of it. I'm not exaggerating every minute. <laughs> it was exhausting. It was an emotional workout, emotional <laughs> cardio. Um, and it really just hit like every single one of my fears and kind of um, just questions, existential questions about life and aging and um, family and loss and relationships and um, connections, you know, whether someone is dead or not. Um, and it was, I, I just really admire how incredibly vulnerable um, it was. I think that's not everybody's thing, the kind of transparent filmmaking process. It's, it's kind of a deconstructed film, but I loved it. Um, and just that film like has my heart. Brooke. Yeah. Same. <laughs> um, I guess. Yeah, I guess like my and that I mentioned before, <laughs> the things that are in my top ten are either basically are either ones that made me cry um or that made me laugh there was there was no in between I didn't want any like any other emotions but those to be there um but yeah I think weirdly and and I won't spoil anything for my other one but it's another one in my top 10 is one that we also did a podcast for a teaser there uh but um I think like probably like a lot of people that were in college I ended up unexpectedly spending a lot of time home with my parents this year um, in like a year that I feel like was a very transitional life moment unless I have dementia like Dick Johnson is dead. I will probably, uh, I'll probably remember this year uh, and, and those moments with my parents. Sorry, I mean, it was what the movie was about. Um, you didn't see it. Um, but yeah, in like a time that's very transitional, I'm like, you know, I'm a very like introspective person and I'm like, what is it going to mean that I was like on my parents' couch graduating virtually and we fought the entire day, but then we like made up the next day and like, what is that going to mean? Um, probably nothing, but I, I watched a lot of films with my parents um, and I watched a lot of them, um, you know, then moving to Cleveland afterwards. And it was my first time living outside of a dorm, um, but still with a childhood best friend. So just like definitely experiencing another moment of change. Um, and I realized that whenever I have a big life shift like that, um, I'm pretty sad for the first couple of months. Uh, college freshman year, pretty sad most of the time for like the first, you know, first couple of months. So in these transitionary periods, um, thinking a lot about my relationship with my parents and stuff, 
and it was so well done and I loved I know we like <clears throat> talked a little bit about like the the more like the fantastical like heaven scene or whatever but out of all the scenes besides the one where they're talking about like the mom that made me sob um that scene in particular is the one that like lives in my mind at all times um and I just thought it was so beautiful and I loved just the colors and everything that was happening there so yeah that's my number four I think those are really good picks, y'all. And you're also, it's the first, at least on our list of a podcast that we've done. There are a couple others uh, that are coming up. Um, so we did talk at length. You can go, I'll probably link to it down mm -hmm. below or in the show notes or something. Um, I really also love this when we watched it. I think Kirsten Johnson is a really talented voice in documentary filmmaking. Uh, her film camera person would probably make into my top of the decade if we ever do that episode. Um, uh, definitely recommend this one. It's easy to watch on Netflix. Well, maybe not easy to watch, but it's easily <laughs> accessible and uh, we'll definitely get the emotions going. Uh, Arjun, why don't you give us your number eight? Yeah, for sure. My number eight film, I'm not sure I've had quite enough time to talk about it, although I think I mentioned it briefly at the end of one episode is uh, The 40-Year-Old Version by Rada Blank. It's a semi-autobiographical depiction of a struggling playwright who used to be a 30 for 30 type of stand-in, whatever they had for that, and has since come upon struggles in her career. Uh, she's teaching theater at a local college, but besides that, hasn't really found a way to continue the success she had early in her career. And I thought it was just a brilliant takedown of the sort of Woody Allen-esque male sort of reveling in New York creator biopic uh, or autobiographical uh, film, I guess, that have come out so many times over the past 10 years, whether it be Louis C.K.'s or Aziz Ansari's, all these sort of self-wallowing, self-pitying uh, movies about the creative experience and creative freedom and how to pursue that. And it really just subverts that in brilliant ways. And I loved this movie so, so much. And it really asked a lot of good questions about what those same ideas about creative freedom uh, mean when turned to the sort of creators in the world that don't have the same sort of freedom to pursue those things with the big budgets that a lot of uh, white male creators have. And it made me think a lot about the sort of movies that I personally revere. And I loved it a lot. And I can't wait to see what Rada Blake continues to do because it was her first film that she's ever directed. And I, I highly recommend everybody check this out. Uh, on Netflix. It's, you know, super easy to watch in a lot of ways. And it's pretty funny. Um, Rada Blank worked on She's Gotta Have It, uh, the TV show with Spike Lee, and it's got a lot of Spike Lee-infused elements of just the streets and these really natural-feeling sort of cinema verite moments that are spliced in with the movie, and I really, really highly recommend it. That is probably the biggest blind spot I'm, I have going into this episode. I really wanted to catch up with it, and I just didn't have the time to, so... Well, I did have the time to. I watched Inside Moon Davis last night instead. Um, Caleb, oh my God, you have a problem. <laughs> that's my number one movie of 2020. And you can't stop me. Um, uh, Alicia, why don't you give us your eight? Okay, eight is Bacurau, the Brazilian film directed by, I'll try my best with this, Kliber Mendo Mendoza uh Philo and Juliana Dorneas. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and uh, it is, a, again, a Brazilian film that uh, kind of is 
so many things at once. It really, I mean, people, anyone you talk to will call it a genre, a genre bender, but it really is. I think Wikipedia calls it a weird Western, but it's part Western, part sci-fi, part um, action, kind of almost like slasher. Um, and it's it manages to be um, kind of like a, a really biting satire of a lot of things like um, cultural issues and political issues in Brazil, as well as global issues with like exploitation of um, different places, uh, in this case, Brazil. And uh, yet, despite that like satirical kind of element, you still have a deep emotional response to the characters. And, you know, since it's a Western, um, you don't spend a lot of time on any one particular character. There's no real protagonist, but um, you still kind of grow to really like some of them. Um, the Some of the greatest performances in are, are by Sonia Braga, who's a frequent collaborator uh, with the directors and um, Udo Kier, who is pretty legendary as well as um, Silvero Pereira, who I hadn't seen in anything. I think he has uh, a very limited fil filmography so far. But, um, and in real life, he's a really interesting figure in the LGBTQ community. But um, he is like this kind of face and presence that you won't forget after watching this movie. And the you, it, it's kind of a rough start. I think it begins in a really immersive way that um, puts you into the culture and uh, it's it's incredibly well done in terms of cinematography and the sound and um, kind of atmosphere but uh, then the kind of action starts to kick in and it's bloody and awesome and really satisfying so yeah Baccarat. Good pick Alicia I'm glad you you brought it up because uh, I wanted to put it on my list it came real close probably in that like 11 12 13 area um, and I loved it for every reason you said it's it's probably like had a big longevity in my head like I, I keep thinking about it I think that a lot of its themes and ideas are not ones that are easily just like, written off like, oh, yep, I understand that, check that box, move on with my life. Um, I keep tumbling them over in my head and um, I think that's great. Uh, did anybody else catch Baccarat? Not quite did, yet. Did you, was it rentable, Alicia? Uh, yeah, on Amazon. Mm. Um, and I think it was my first watch of uh, the new year, I think. Yeah. Nice. Good start to 2021. Uh, Brooke, what is your number eight thing? Yeah, <laughs> thing's a good word. Um, I'm going <laughs> to go ahead here and say I talked about it um, off and on on the podcast when I talked about things that I was watching. Um, but Shit's Creek, I had never seen it before. Started it this year after it won like whatever, every award or whatever <laughs> for um, like writing. And I think acting for one of them but um yeah it was just one of those ones that again pretty mindless <laughs> at times pretty mindless pretty funny is what I was going for this year um but yeah I, it started off a little bit slow which is what you say about every fucking <laughs> show um starts off slow and then you get into it but season three had me literally like laughing out loud at some of the parts there and just some of the funniest situations 
that I could think of. And I think I'm a really big fan of like town comedy type things. Um, when we had to write something for Kevin Smith's class, I wrote a town comedy <laughs> and I was like, see, I can do it because everyone else is doing it. And that's what they like to see, right? The same thing that everyone else is writing. <laughs> um, but yeah, so just, just so enjoyable. Haven't finished it yet because I don't finish things that I like, <laughs> um, but, I, but I will. <laughs> I don't know. I think there's like something in me that's like, like if I don't finish it, they'll still live on in my mind and I won't have to come to an end. Um, don't like closure apparently, but yeah, really funny, really liked it. Some of the best, like, I mean, I think um, just the, the, the dynamic between father and son and just that family relationship, really good. Would recommend, especially season three. I don't know about I don't know past season five because that's where I'm still <laughs> so I mean I think the six I think the sixth season is their final season and I think that's the one that won all of the awards so that one's probably also good but season three in my opinion <laughs> even better <laughs> nice I've seen half of season one and I liked it and then just sort of fell off because I was watching it right as pandemic hit and instead mm. of leaning into like tv i leaned all the way out and i think i only watched ted lasso this year which was amazing could be my number one film of the year it's not uh let's move on to my number eight film uh my number eight is the vast of night which is a low budget indie sci-fi movie that you can find on amazon prime it's about uh two teens that sort of uh, discover a strange frequency over the airwaves in their town, their small town in New Mexico, um, and their investigation of where this noise and frequency comes from leads them to a wild experience. Um, and I just, I really loved the atmosphere that this film brought. Um, it builds mood super well. It doesn't do a ton to subvert like sci-fi genre, um, staples and it it doesn't it's not there's not a ton new but it is like a world that I just wanted to live in and the dialogue's really catchy and snappy the production design is phenomenal for the budget that they had like it is ridiculous and um, if you're listening to any other top 10 films of the year videos that mention Vast of Night they always have to mention the one shot um which is this incredible one take, or it looks like a one take shot um, that goes through an entire town using a go-kart and some green screen trickery to go through um, the basketball uh, stadium that they that's in the town. And it's a super impressive shot. Um, and it's a really just inspiring story of the creation of it um, because it was a guy who had done like commercials for the Oklahoma City Thunder and he wanted to do something like feature length and he did and it's mm -hmm. it's great I highly recommend it. it's also a quick watch um hour 30 or something like that um so yeah that's my number pick did, did anybody, number eight pick there did anybody else see uh Fast of Night not yet nope well I've heard quite a bit about that shot though and I feel like that's enough to get me to at least check it out I've heard really good things Mm. the the shot is on youtube so if you if you want to skip the movie while i wouldn't recommend it you can go and find it um 
Before we move on to our number sevens, let's hear not from Devin, who uh, I wanted to get a video in. He didn't have time. Um, so instead, we're going to hear from a listener who is a friend of mine who is very sweet about like texting like, oh, hey, like, thanks for the recommendation. Like, or I really liked what Brooke said in this episode or whatever. Um, That's what I said. <laughs> it's always you, Brooke. Um, so let's hear from Davidson. Hey folks, I'm Davidson and my favorite of 2020, as Caleb knows, I'm one of the uh, biggest Star Wars shills I've ever met. Um, and so it's only natural that my choice uh, is some Star Wars media. And although it's not technically a movie, I feel like it could be. Uh, my choice is the last four episodes of um, Star Wars The Clone Wars that came out back in May, which feels like a lifetime ago. Um, they wrapped up the show in a beautiful way that it wasn't allowed before, paralleled uh, the Revenge of the Sith nicely, uh, tied in in some interesting ways, um, and uh, Lucasfilm put in an extra mile uh, to uh, make it the best they could, um, and it's stuck with me ever since. Cool. All right, that's uh, cool that's my boy it. Davidson. Yeah, <laughs> um, he's the sole reason why I haven't given up on Star Wars as a corporate shill of a <laughs> property, because it is that. But uh, his love for it and enthusiasm will one day push me to watch Mandalorian season two. <laughs> uh, and uh, I, I just love Davidson. So uh, got to give it to him for that. Yeah, I've been completely out on Star Wars ever since the Rise of Skywalker, which I hated with a fiery passion. Honestly, um, worst movie of all time, maybe. Like, I hated that movie. <laughs> it's really, 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 really bad. Although I just saw Paul Blart Mall Cop for the first time in a while, and I think it might rival it. But um, yeah, I've, I've had so many people tell me to watch the last season of The Clone Wars in the past couple weeks, and I don't know what it is, but it's almost got me thinking maybe it's worth doing. I won't do the stupid Mandalorian though. I saw this tweet that was like, you know, it's like from years ago or whenever, you know, the Mandalorian came out and it was like, just imagine a bunch of coked up Disney execs on a Scientology retreat in Burbank that uh, come to the realization on a whiteboard that baby Yoda is the way to go. And I've just never been able to think about it the same way. <laughs> My boss this morning, the, the first thing that he sent me after, um, you know, our break and like starting the new year work-wise, was a um a video of uh yoda. baby yoda being blown up <laughs> wow um which was it honestly it put me in a much better mood i'm Sorry, i'm baby. kind of i'm kind of pro baby yoda um <laughs> if only for the fact that they use a tangible puppet and i always respect that um plus i i guess i i work for the same company so i have to say that i love everything that disney makes yeah. disney is a wonderful company and we're using disney <laughs> zoom anyhow um <laughs> under your head there yeah sorry davidson you can stop listening now probably for the next 30 seconds um but i hate well i've never seen star wars i saw the first first one or whatever for the like a film class and it was the dumbest thing I'd ever seen. <laughs> I'm so confused why people like it. Um, but funny story, I thought that Han Solo and Luke Skywalker were the same person and that Han Solo was just, just I like I thought I had absorbed enough <laughs> from the culture that I knew what was going on. Um, so this was like two years ago when I watched it for the first time and I thought that Han Solo was just his fun little nickname. 
And I was really confused why it did not look like Harrison Ford. But I was like, there's no way that he looks that different. Um, so yeah, it really rocked my world. Not in a good way. Uh, but my dad started watching The Mandalorian, even though he has never seen Star Wars. Um, and each time I hear updates from him and he said, it's so stupid, but I love that baby Yoda. And I was like, you are on track with the culture, dad. Um, so he sent me like a meme the other day um, and it meant nothing to me, but good for my dad. <laughs> so that's, that's my thought. All right. Well, let's get back to movies. Uh <laughs> And Alicia, we're going to actually have you wait on your number seven because you share it with Arjun's number two. So we're going to wait for number two to get there. And Arjun, we're actually going to wait for your number seven because you share it with my number two and Alicia's number three. So we're going to wait on those and we're going to pop it to Brooke with her final non-film pick. So I guess we're not even back to movies yet, um, <laughs> or at least 2020 movies. What do you got for us? Uh, yeah, all right. <laughs> okay number seven then um okay it's gonna be a little bit controversial not really um but bad moms slash a bad mom's christmas really did it for me i watched i watched bad mom's christmas you know during christmas time a couple weeks ago and i was like genuinely surprised like i all the movies on my list are just ones that i was like i expected nothing from you and that's what you gave me, but you like, you made me laugh. Um, so yeah, Bad Mom's Christmas was like genuinely good. I would say better than just the first one, Bad Moms, um, Bad Moms, but yeah, it was really good. Watched Bad Moms for the first time, like three days ago, instead of watching the ones that Caleb suggested I watch from 2020, because um, I tried, <laughs> I tried watching The Invisible Man for 30 minutes and then it was just sleeping with the enemy but with sci-fi uh and I didn't like it <laughs> so, oh I thought you would like that one no I'll give it another chance I wasn't in the right mood I was just in a bad mom's mood <laughs> um, I, I think it's clear we need to have an episode dedicated to bad mom's Christmas it seems like all roads have led to bad mom's Christmas <laughs> all roads lead back to it um I don't even know who the actress is but she always plays like a supporting character in like bad comedies but she's just amazing and there's just a scene where she's like waxing this man's balls um that's like a santa stripper and i'm like yes this is all i want from my movies um so yeah bad moms <laughs> that's the scene i walked in i think i told the story in the holiday podcast but i walked i was like, gonna go hang out with my girlfriend and i walked into her apartment and she and her roommate were watching that scene and they, she was like, surprise, you're going to watch Bad Mom's Christmas with us. And mm -hmm. so that was my introduction to that universe, that yep. cinematic universe. <laughs> cinematic. Um, <laughs> really building a world here. Uh, <laughs> a little bit better than Star Wars, I might say. <laughs> you know, similar themes, but, you know, just a little bit funnier. Yeah, number seven. <laughs> nice, Brooke, I'll miss your, uh, your non-conventional picks. Mm -hmm. but uh well i will support you in your number seven with my number seven which is bloody nose empty pockets um this is a documentary film about the final night of a closing bar on the edge of a lost on the on the edge of the las vegas strip 
um, and the bar flies that make up its regulars as they come together to say goodbye to the bar that they've, you know, come to love. Except it's not about that at all. It's not. It's it's that is all alive. What I is what I've just said, and that's not what the film's about. Um, however, that's what the film tells you what it's about. And I don't know how much more detail I want to get into because I, I guess the in the text of the film it doesn't tell you that it's a lie, and it just tells you like this is the story that we're telling. Um, but all it's shot in New Orleans and all of the bar flies that are there are just like people they found in New Orleans and they shoved them into a bar and was just like, be yourself. The story is that you all know each other and this is a bar that's closing down and we'll see what happens. And it is like ridiculous and also fascinating. Um, there are some really poignant moments where like one moment where a Vietnam vet um, is talking about his experience after the war and coming back home and things being different because he's different and how he's treated is different. Um, and it's just, it's just really powerful and funny and a fascinating dive into like, I guess, documentary ethics and truth versus fiction and like, can they do this? <laughs> like, uh, it's very interesting and um, I found it to be like profound in very odd ways that only like movies could do, I guess. Um, but yeah, that's that's my pick, Bloody Nose, Empty Pockets. I think it's underseen. I, I, I feel like more people should see it. Um, I feel like Bloody Nose, Empty Pockets is just like a summary of like middle school for me. <laughs> like there were just like a lot of bloody noses for no reason ah, and all the tissue that I used <laughs> you sound nostalgic <laughs> <laughs> yeah really going through it but that sounds interesting Caleb Did, didn't you mention it during one of your what you were watching probably I probably did it sounds really good um yeah highly recommend uh Alicia why don't you hit us with your number six Cool. Uh, number six. Is this not on anyone else's list? No, and so I'm glad that you That's how brought I felt it up. about my number six. I'm wow. <laughs> okay. Um, so I guess you all hated Sound of Metal, directed by Darius Martyr, um, starring Riz Ahmed and uh, Olivia Cook. Um, it <laughs> is, uh, I mean, it's great. It's about a drummer who um, discovers that um, he is losing his hearing and the sound design alone is incredible it its approach is to put you in the perspective for a lot of the time not all the time um, in the perspective of Riz Ahmed's character um, in terms of uh, what you hear and how you hear it um, and there I mean there are just so many good performances and it it uses quiet um, really intelligently. I mean, shocker, it's about like deafness, but um, there are just a lot of really kind of simple, raw, tender moments. Um, and it, it makes me think about sound um, in a really challenging way where I was watching it and I was like, wow, I'm so lucky that I'm not deaf. Um, like, I'm just really, really glad that, I'm not, that I can hear. But then other times it's, you know, it's telling you like, it, it can be a beautiful thing to um, not have sound in your life and uh, experience the world differently. 
So yeah, it's, it's beautiful. It's kind of simply told, but it also blends interesting themes like addiction in with the main uh, storyline and like the emotional arc of the protagonist. Um, yeah, it's great. I agree. I really liked it as well. That's also probably somewhere in the 11, 12, 13, 14, whatever range of my list. Um, Riz Ahmed is great. Paul Racy is incredible. He's my pick for best supporting actor. Yeah, if, completely. If I had the power to choose that. Um, I think what held me back from putting it in my top 10 is that I find it difficult to get into films like and be sucked into films uh, with just sort of like a pseudo documentary handheld the entire time shooting style. I usually prefer some more construction behind the camera, but that's really just a personal preference more than anything. Um, Cause I think the film is competently shot and like well composed and um, it's easy to watch. It's on Amazon prime. And I think that's a really great pick Alicia. So Arjun, I hate to ask you to wait again, but your number six is actually Brooks number one. So <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna wait on that one. I promise you'll get to talk soon. Um, we can honestly talk about it now if you want. Unless no, no, unless no, no. Arjun, oh, wait, oh, wait. Ar Arjun, we've had to skip you twice. Is there an honorable mention you want to mention real quick? <laughs> oh goodness, oh, putting you goodness. on the spot, no preparation. Um, but he loves no. The list. Just just go on, just go on. I yeah. I... <laughs> <laughs> I'll come back to an honorable mention if I think of anything. Oh, okay. I like I liked Tenet. I don't know. We talked about that. I think I don't want to hate on it too much. Um, even though if you tried to get me to explain you the plot, I wouldn't be able to. <laughs> also, guys, I know I asked about whether or not I should watch it in my like like crash course of 2020 films in case it was my top 10. And I didn't. I didn't mm. do it. So I guess mm. we'll never know. Well, actually, we'll probably know this week. But um we could oh. <laughs> easily do like an update at some point. Um, that's just like, here's the 2020. Sure, we'll do an Oscars episode. We can probably fill yeah. in by the time right. that comes around. <laughs> Good call. My Oscar picks be from 2012. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Brooke, why don't we actually get you situated into your film list now? Let's start with yeah. your number six. Oh, you mean like, should we talk about films from 2020? Or? Yeah. I actually like, would um... much rather you continue what you were doing before. <laughs> oh, that. okay. Yeah, I have that list then, <laughs> if you want. Just the things that I did watch instead of watching. Let me quickly list the things that I watched instead of watching the things that Caleb told me to watch from 2020. <laughs> um i'll just do that real quick i watched greenland uh horrible uh, horrible loved it um, <laughs> another apocalypse movie it was exactly 2012 i'm big into the apocalypse if you hadn't noticed um it was exactly the film 2012 but done worse with worse writing um so i liked it obviously i watched greyhound uh with um tom hanks my boy um i liked it was in the moment of it uh but didn't uh didn't stick with me in any way so yeah those are the things that i watched instead um but if we're actually talking about my 2020 picks number six is one that we did a podcast on on the rocks again i like not I, it wasn't like my favorite while i watched it um but i've just like thought about it more and I just really liked, <clears throat> same with Dick Johnson is Dead, 
the like father daughter dynamic that was happening there and just like reflecting on my own like relationships with my parents and everything and how that is evolving and changing and I think that those two movies are definitely like very different portraits of each other but kind of talking about like dysfunction and function in like different ways so I really liked it we talked about it more extensively Caleb will link it there I'm sure I had more profound thoughts then I liked it um when I watched it then but no guarantees but yeah that's my number six I liked it too it probably is somewhere in like the number 28 or something I don't know that's that's the range I'm feeling for for on the rocks for me but I I do think that it was an enjoyable film and a really overlooked film because it's kind of buried on Apple TV plus but mm-hmm. um yeah we'll go ahead and move on to my number six um which is the film Shirley from Josephine Decker and I actually wrote a little blurb to be able to talk about it and you'll understand why once I finish this blurb um the word I describe this film, the word I'd use to describe this film is slippery. Decker's camera feels like a drunk butterfly and combined with the expressionistic editing style, I can't help but think of this film as liquid. When two characters have a conversation, Decker doesn't tip, uh, settle for a typical AB reverse shot setup. Instead, both cameras move in and out and around the actors for the entire conversation so that when you cut back and forth between them, the, ca- the camera was never in the same place that it was in the last shot. The movement combined with her propensity for soft focus is brilliantly woozy and embodies the melting relationships the film portrays. It also reflects the film's desire to blur the line between art and reality, genius and crazy, and ultimately love and reverence. This is what I love about Josephine Decker and her work. Even as I write about it, the film feels like it's slipping between my fingers in the most tantalizing of ways. Um, I, I, That's pretentious as hell, but... Uh, <laughs> I like I watched it in May and was like or June or whenever it came out I was like wow this is like a great work like this is so interesting and I like I have so many thoughts about it and then like two days later like I couldn't I could not put my finger on why and but it stuck in my mind and so then I watched it like a week ago to remind myself um and then a couple of days later like I like could not put my finger on why I wanted to talk about it. So I watched it like again, and then finally wrote that down and was like, okay, cemented thoughts and feelings about it. Um, but yeah, I really liked Shirley. And I think Josephine Decker is one of the more exciting voices in American independent cinema right now. Um, did any of you guys catch Shirley? Yeah. No, but it sounds like you're trying to get extra credit for some, <laughs> <laughs> some paper. That was so eloquent. My God, I want to watch it now. And then write Brooke, it. I think you'd like it. That's the yeah. one I was like, Brooke, I'd be fascinated to hear what you'd think of it. Um, yeah, I will watch it. It's on my list. I wrote it down. <laughs> I guess yeah. I didn't really set up the premise of it at all. No. Um, <laughs> just know it's slippery it's it's Shirley <laughs> Shirley Jackson is a character in it and it's like a couple comes and lives with Shirley Jackson and her husband and uh things get testy from there I guess <laughs> things get slippery things get slippery um yeah I liked I like Shirley I I feel like it was trying very hard to be creepy and scary in a way that I never really felt but I felt like Elizabeth Moss's performance was awesome and uh I stand all my Scientology kings and queens (laughs) (laughs) 
That's yeah, a- I really like Shirley. Um, the performances are awesome. I yeah, I'll always stand a Liz Moss, Liz Moss till I die. Um, and the whole like, I feel like for me the movie was like mossy. There's one scene where moss is very prevalent, and the whole movie to me feels. I mean, it's Josephine Decker, so it's very dreamy. But um, and uh occasionally there would be a bit of dialogue that sounded like a Taylor Swift lyric in the bad way mm-hmm. <laughs> um but in general like nice uh let's flip it now to Julia who came on our podcast uh for the trial of the Chicago 7 and uh she's gonna tell us what her favorite film of the year is Hi there, it's Julia. I'm here for the Thinking of Watching Things pod 2020 best of. Um, I want to say for one of my favorite movies of the year, it's kind of hard to choose a favorite because it was sort of a weird year and I didn't see that many new movies. Um, But one that I think went a little under the radar that I really loved was Bad Education. Um, Hugh Jackman, Alison Janney, and an actress I hadn't seen in much before, um, Geraldine Viswanathan. Um, star in this movie about a superintendent who embezzled a bunch of money from, I think, in a New York's, like, well-off school district, um, and sort of a student journalist begins to uncover it, and it all starts to unravel for him, and it was just really well done. Hugh Jackman playing kind of, uh, charming on the outside, but villainous on the inside, um, was just really, really fun to watch. He had a fantastic performance. Alison Janney was also really great. And Geraldine Viswanathan was this new actress who really did a great job as the sort of young student journalist role. Um, so I really liked that. Um, one other thing I would plug from this year that gave me a lot of joy was the TV show What We Do in the Shadows. Um, the second season came out this year and I think the show was already fantastically funny in its first season, but I think it really found itself in the second season and was even more entertaining and wonderful. Um, the Taikika Watiti film that it's based on is also great. Um, but I think the show takes the basic concept of that and makes it work even better. So those were some of my faves of the year. Yay! Thank you, Julia. Um, I love what we do in the shadows. That was another TV project that I watched in 2020. And it has one of the best, one of the funniest episodes of like 20 minute TV comedy ever. And um uh, I, God, I'm forgetting the name that his character goes in, but basically one character just like quits being a vampire and goes to a small town and just becomes like one of them and joins the community. And it is the funniest thing ever. Um, really recommend that show. Did anybody see that or Bad Education? I liked Bad Education. Great Hugh Jackman performance and Allison Janey has some performances in these like gorgeous posh backyards that have just stuck in my head all year. That's on, is that on HBO? Hulu, yeah. I think. Oh, I Hulu. thought it was HBO. You might be right. HBO. Mm. I'll need to watch that. I like Hugh Jackman. Is that girl that she's talking about the one from Blockers? I'm making that up. Never seen Blockers. Is that John Cena? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, it is that girl. Um, she's really awesome in Blockers. Um, oh, she was also in The Package, which I haven't seen and will not see. But yeah. <laughs> okay <laughs> all right uh we're moving into our top five we have a lot of shared picks in this top five so it might be a mind baby <laughs> <laughs> um 
Arjun and Alicia, you guys actually share your number five. Is it just because there's the number five in the title? Is that why that's number five? I did uh, not do that on purpose. I told you I slaved over a spreadsheet. <laughs> no. <laughs> See, Alicia, I also like, I'm more on Arjun's side about loving lists and putting them together. I think it's fun, but I also, it really stresses me out. I, I like force myself to do it, but it, because I like it, but it also stresses me out. <laughs> um, but putting spreadsheets and so making... you have some sort of rewarding experience in the end. That's good for you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Arjun, why don't you just start us off with your number five? Uh, because we've silenced you for too long. Um, yeah, my my number five is the Five Bloods, and I, Chadwick Boseman has been getting a lot of love, and seems like he will rightfully walk into the best actor winner this year um and i thought ma rainey's black bottom was great but i personally thought that his performance in the five bloods is even better um, easily my favorite supporting actor performance of the year and he's got such little to do in that movie but so much of it hinges around his presence and when we talk about movie stars earlier and just being able to come on for a short amount of time and have his presence just anchor the entire movie. And it just really wouldn't work without him. And he carries such a strong weight over the entire movie, despite really not being in that much of it. And uh, Spike Lee, obviously one of the best living filmmakers. And I'm not usually a big fan of war movies, but I thought it was just incredibly engaging. And I really loved every second of it. I'm excited to revisit it. I haven't had a chance to, but I'm sure I will like it even more because so much of it is stuck just so deeply in my mind from the Apocalypse Now club shot of the dolly of them uh, walking toward the camera and um, Delroy, Delroy Lindo's amazing performance also has stuck in my head for a long time. So The Five Bloods, fifth favorite movie of the year and uh, could easily see it ending up higher when I think about this a little bit more. It's, it's really awesome. Alicia, why is it your number five? Uh, yeah, I mean, well, Delroy Lindo plays a huge role in it being my number five. His performance is completely explosive and like even in the the moments where he's not I mean kind of physically uh like uh dominating the scene uh his presence is like felt in every possible way and I also Arjun you said you're usually not a fan of war movies I'm often not a fan of like war epics or epics in general because I feel like they use their length as a crutch to make their endings more like feel more like a culmination or feel more satisfactory. Um, just like the pure notion that like the beginning of the movie was a long time ago, <laughs> um, it, rather than actually leaning on any sort of like deep character development. But um, I mean, like, I just, I couldn't deny this film. It was incredible. Chadwick Boseman is like, I mean, he has this like, kind of glowing I mean the point of the film is to kind of paint him as almost like a messiah like kind of angelic figure but he with his natural kind of charisma and charm he like more than pulls it off and um yeah the action scenes are incredible and the cinematography is incredibly memorable and there are a lot of really funny moments too the the dynamic between all the chemistry between the characters is fantastic and like I feel like kind of one in a million and also um Jonathan Majors 
uh, it was the debut for me of his incredible arms. <laughs> so those, um, those get some sort of award. I don't know. Also, he's a fantastic actor or whatever. <laughs> was there not enough arms for you in uh, Last Black Man in San Francisco? Well, I, I feel like they're, they're a little bit more obscured. Yeah. yeah. And that Morehouse uh, t-shirt, I mean, guns out. Guns out. <laughs> Lovecraft Country will give you. Uh, oh guns yeah, that out gave me well. my fix. For yeah. sure. <laughs> um, good pick, y'all. This is Defy Bloods. Like, really stood out to me as a like a just breath of fresh air of movies in June or July or whenever it came out. Like, we were all sort of starving for new movies, or at least I was. And it is so Spike Lee, and it's so its own thing, and. Um, I loved having something that I could watch with my conservative father that like he, at the end of it, he was like, wow, that gave me a lot to think about. Like, and I, I think by putting the MAGA hat on Delroy Lindo, like Spike Lee's just on another planet in terms of like 4D chess in the way that he is uh examining the problems of america and uh i think spike's uh a genius and i think that it's a great film and i also i love that netflix funded it like no other studio is doing anything like this um because i'm sure it was not a cheap film to make um but it's not quite a an, a war action movie either that would get like big box office returns so shout out to netflix for that one and speaking of like the budget and stuff, um, the regardless of the reason, the choice to um, not use de-aging technology and have the same actors play their younger selves, I think is part of what actually set it apart from the kind of war epics or epics in general that I tend to um, dislike. It It's things like that that really made it special. Yeah. Man, I'm like regretting now not putting it on my list. I should have rewatched it. God. Um, yeah, that's uh, that's the five bloods. So let's let's pop on over to Brooke for her number five suit. Uh, wait, Brooke, <laughs> is this a is this an HBO? Is this what is this? I am I'm actually like I can't picture what this is. Go ahead and tell us your number five. Oh, you don't you don't need to know <laughs> what it is. What? <laughs> um, another tonal shift here. <laughs> um. This is another Melissa McCarthy movie, uh, which was not like advertised at all to anyone except for me. Um, and I think that's because James Corden's in it and I don't hate him as much as the rest of the internet does. <laughs> you know, we're cool. James has done nothing to me personally, um, but it's just another apocalypse kind of movie. Um, James Corden plays this like <clears throat> super AI thing um that like wants to pick the most basic human ever so picks melissa mccarthy as this like i haven't discovered myself yet kind of person um, and he's like she is the most average um and this basically this ai is trying to decide whether or not to like kill all of the humans to save the earth help all of the humans to save the earth or like I don't know, there was a third option. I don't remember what it was. <laughs> oh, to like enslave all of the humans. So we're either killing them, <laughs> enslaving them, or helping them. Um, so yeah, obviously she wants one of those outcomes. <laughs> um, and Wait, I'm sorry. Did you ever say what this is called? 
super intelligence okay uh-huh. um like i said you don't need to know um yeah i don't know again don't know if i'd recommend to watch uh, um, but just you know it uh sparked some joy for me it got like really low ratings um probably deserved it but Melissa McCarthy, I just, she, I watch anything that she does and I will basically like it. Um, it was very funny. Who, it's the, her like love interest or whatever is like the guy that plays like the stepdad in Ant-Man or whatever. Him, didn't love him for the love interest. They had like a weird, weird connection going on. And that was like the majority of the film. Um, but it just had a few funny moments, a few good laughs. And I liked it. So yeah, made my, I, I don't know. I also didn't really, um, for the movies that I did watch that were in 2020, I also didn't, uh, I didn't rank them very, I didn't take too long to rank them. But yeah, this one was fun. I would watch it again in my like lineup of Melissa McCarthy though. Spy is still better, but you know, 2020 gave what it could. <laughs> interesting i had uh, never heard of that until now um, yeah that's why it was like not not marketed yeah, yeah not marketed and it, it's directed i think it's like the directorial debut for her husband uh mm. melissa mccarthy's husband who like always has a role in her movies like a small little cameo role um so you'll see him but i think it was his direct like directorial debut and it didn't do great so i think they only marketed it to me after seeing that I watched Spy <laughs> 10 times in a row. They're like, ah, this one's for her. She looks like she likes James Corden too. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah. Wow. Well, we'll keep the good vibes going um, with my number five pick because I also picked a comedy. Um, my pick is The Wolf of Snow Hollow, uh, directed, <laughs> starring, and written by Jim Cummings. Um, it's a horror comedy about a supposed string of werewolf attacks in a small mountain town. Um, and I just had an amazing time with it. I don't have like an eloquent thing that I wrote out about the themes of like whatever murder, I don't know, The Wolf of Snow Hollow. But what I can say is that it was like the funniest movie of the year for me. And the closest I got to replicating the theater experience uh, in my opinion, because I got everybody in my quarantine bubble, aka my roommates and my girlfriend, and uh, we we all gathered around and we just had a great time. Like we were laughing the entire time. There are so many lines that uh, stick out in my mind, especially regarding cops, because um, once again, Jim Cummings plays a cop in a movie, but he also undercuts it uh, constantly. Um, you know, the movie might be a little messy, but I think that's the charm of it. Um, you really just see the love of like movie making being put into it. And um, I'm also just a sucker for horror comedies. So there's that. Um, I have no clue what's going on because we talked about this on the podcast. The, the guy who has like a wolf tattoo who they're setting you up to think is the werewolf uh, who's like in his trailer doing like drugs um, I have no clue what he's doing in the movie. Um, it's super it, confusing. <laughs> yeah, because he like burns a body at one point and you're like, oh, like he's definitely killing people. But then he's just not the killer and they never explain what those shots were about. Um, 
no clue what that's about. Jim Cummings, please let me know at Gil for Tribe on Twitter. Um, I did tweet at him a couple times asking him because I really wanted to know. Um, he never got back to me. Uh, but yeah, that's that's my number five pick, Wolf of Snow Hollow. I'm glad you had that on there. I, it's I'm underseen. glad one of us, yeah. Yeah, uh, I know Arjun hated it, but... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I didn't hate it, but... Uh... <laughs> it's okay. I hated your number four pick, so... We'll... <laughs> Good segue. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll fight about that one. Go ahead and tell us about uh, your number four. Uh, yeah, this is my number four pick, and my number four and my number three, this is like the top four here is where uh, you start getting to just by far my favorite films of the year. They probably could have been number one or number two in a lot of other years, which is why I really think that this was a strong year for film, really just based off of these top films that I, I really loved. And um, my number four pick is She Dies Tomorrow, the Amy Simons film. Uh, Amy Simons, who I had seen as an actor before, but never seen anything she directed. She was in Upstream Color as the main, I don't know if you call it love interest, that movie is weird as fuck, um, but she was, she's awesome in it. And I was actually at the time, I don't, I don't want to get into that. Never mind. But um, um, yeah, but, but the movie is just enchanting and very depressing and makes you just feel like you're walking through a dream. It made me think of Eyes Wide Shut a lot while watching it. It made me think of Under the Skin a lot while watching it. These sort of just crazy lucid movies where you just feel like you're walking through some sort of like thick liquid while watching it and just I absolutely loved it. And I can't say enough nice things about it. The soundtrack by Mondo Boys, including some classical movies that I'd seen or classical music that I've heard probably couldn't put a name on. Uh, absolutely awesome soundtrack and just visually a gorgeous movie that really sucked me in from the first moment. And uh, I know you're not a big fan, Kayla, but I can't mm -hmm. recommend checking it out highly enough because at the very least, it is a very weird, weird movie that is, uh, I think, trying to do some interesting things, whether or not you like it. I know it's been very divisive. People either love it or hate it. Um, I, I loved it. Um, I I was thinking about rewatching it for this discussion because uh, I do want to give it another shake. Um, I didn't want to fall asleep though, so uh, I'm kidding. Uh, I just um, I I do want to give it another shake. I just found it to be like sort of arbitrary in its script, and while visually well executed the ideas never coalesced into something that was interesting to me but I, again i do want to i do want to give it another shake maybe i just yeah. wasn't paying attention enough and because that's really one of those movies that like i'm sure that if i was sucked in and like yeah. engrossed like um it could have played differently especially in like a movie theater or something yeah and i'll admit i care a lot less about plot than the average moviegoer if you give me something sort of eccentric and weird where i can latch on to a few of the narrative points and really latch on to the actors i will absolutely get sucked in and that's totally what happened with she dies tomorrow um yeah fuck plot 2021 2021? yeah i also i liked it um i i mean like i feel like i would kind of die for jane adams and also um i think that it again touches on a lot of my fears it, it touches on the the greatest fear of everyone that no one talks about and it's like what if we talked about it and what if like all the time someone was talking to you about it so you could never escape that like sinking feeling when you remember death exists because honestly this might sound depressing but I believe that happiness is just like kind of briefly forgetting that death exists um, oh my god! 
Um, and so what? really- no, hold on, hold on. I circle back around. Wait, yeah, what? we can't just let her say I... that. <laughs> I think that- um... Is this what you think about when you're trying to sleep at night? Like, is this- Well, no, well, I mean, my life is constantly trying to not think about it. But when I do, it's like, well, shit. It's like losing the game in middle school. You know what I mean? Huh. And you're you like, I've ruined it. And to me, oh <laughs> have you brought this up with your therapist wow. or like, or was this your first introduction? For you some reason, like- I thought I'd talk to you guys about this before. Now I'm um, wondering if I'm just too laissez-faire about death. Like, I just don't care, I guess. Because I, now I'm, you're infecting me. Now I'm like, should well, I Well, be- the thing is, I don't know. I mean, I guess <laughs> it's not death. It's the fear of it, the uncertainty, mm. which I, th- I think the uncertainty mm. of it is like, the most beautiful thing and the meaning of life but also the worst thing um whenever I get scared by it I think well I don't know I'll have to dig deep into like my feelings on the afterlife but currently if I get scared of death I'm like ah like Brooke you won't be conscious (laughs) to like be worried about it I don't like that either no I love that I'm like I will be in non-being <laughs> like, that sounds wonderful I don't honestly like that. you're <laughs> not helping <laughs> anyways <laughs> but um wait well now this is gonna make my point sound ridiculous <laughs> I like that it ta- it deals with those issues but at the same time as I was watching it I think Josh Larson touched on this in the film spotting episode but like while watching it I didn't really get that feeling like I got it when I thought about it afterwards um then I was like I hate you movie you've done like what I've been trying to avoid for my entire life (laughs) but uh during it 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 didn't have that emotional of a response but I still I still kind of dug it for whatever reason anyway bye (laughs) uh yeah, well, nice pick. I'm glad we at least got to talk about it. And I will try and give it a watch because it's a quick one too. So, um, Brooke, why don't you give us your three, two, and one so that you can have your Walking Dead time? Yes, yes. <laughs> I have my priorities um, and it's preparing for the apocalypse. Um, okay, so going to talk about some an- animated flicks here. Um, everyone's been talking about Soul. It made it as my number three. I have not, I will say, I have not done my um, like racial analysis thought brain thing yet. And um, the things that I have seen, meaning like what I saw on Twitter um, were like different threads from like, like just from different point of views. And we can definitely, oh, I clicked on something. We can talk about, oh my God, something keeps clicking. Um, we can definitely talk about, you know, Disney turning black characters into no longer black characters and into animals and stuff I think is the main thing we're talking about um two reasons why I like this movie one just like beautiful animation I I'm not someone that really watches like animated movies that often unless it's like Mulan or like just you know stuff from my childhood so just to like see the level that we were at with like close-up animated shots was just really amazing and then two I watched it with my parents and my dad didn't understand it he had to re-watch it like at the very end he was like wait so those are the like that's the soul 
like they're going to earth and I was like where have you been it was like his tenant like he had to <laughs> he had to keep he like was like Brooke I'm gonna we need to rewatch this and I was like I'm not rewatching it he was like okay I'll do it on my own time and then he like rewatched again he's like I think I get it this time I was like dad this is a children's movie like he wasn't getting like the deeper meaning of things he wasn't getting like basic plot points um which just made me love it even more <laughs> how much he had to dive into that then number two onward um watched it earlier this year <clears throat> I'm an only child and it made me cry <laughs> for the the big brother that I don't have um but yeah just like a beautiful film like weirdly so good 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 soundtrack have downloaded the one song from it I'm sure there were more but there was one that was really good and I really liked it um but yeah beautiful beautiful ending loved it really fun just had so much fun watching it would recommend and then number one Palm Springs which kind of just fit my vibe for all these movies was like unexpectedly very good you know the bad moms of 2020 where as as one might say um I just was not expecting to like it that much and it was one of those movies where like sometimes I like just finish a movie and I immediately want to watch it again or I like finish a movie and I go back to the parts that I just love so much and we just had some really great like montage moments which I'm a sucker for um, and it was just really funny, uh, really interesting. I mean, pretty much, you know, the idea of time warp, uh, Groundhog Day, not new, but I thought it was really well done and I really liked it. So if anyone wants to talk about that real quick and then I will peace out. <laughs> yeah, Arjun, why don't you talk about Palm Springs? Cause we had to skip you earlier. Yeah, it was, it was number six on my list and I kind of had the opposite anticipation type of thing where as soon as it was announced that this movie sold to a record number at Sundance and Andy Samberg being one of my favorite actors in the world, I was like, holy shit, like I'm going to love this movie way more than other people do. And then it comes out and it turns out other people also love this movie. I came in completely expecting it. I would also like to give a shout out to Twitter personality, comedian, I don't know what exactly he is, but Connor O'Malley, I don't know if you guys follow this guy on Twitter. He has a small, small part in Palm Springs that absolutely cracks me up every time he comes on screen. It's the movie from this year I've rewatched the most already, and it probably, when it's all shaken out, will be still that. It is so, so funny. And that scene where J.K. Simmons and Andy Samberg are doing coke in a bathtub, best shot of 2020. <laughs> I really like Palm Springs. I think that the hype hurt it a little bit for me, potentially. Um, but then I was like, this is what it is. And it's really good. And also, I watch Connor O'Malley's Ash Wednesday video like every day of my life. <laughs> uh, another June Squibb movie also. Podcast of June Squibb coming up big. <laughs> Uh, Brooke, I love that you mentioned Onward because I don't, I think that movie like got, you know, cut by COVID and so nobody were, was talking about it. Um, and then even when it released on Disney Plus, nobody was talking about it. And I do, I don't, I do think it's like not the best Pixar, um, but having brothers, um, I did actually like, I think it might be the only movie that made in 2020 that like tears actually came down my face. Um, I also just had a really cool viewing experience, which was um, like National Geographic put on like here, you can watch it a week early um, and like had a special screening. And so it was me and my girlfriend and a bunch of children 
um, <laughs> right before COVID. And uh, it was really great. They did like a, a Disney dance cam where they took a camera and came into the audience and like all the, ki the kids were like dancing to like Disney songs and uh, me and Aaron were just like in the background, like the only 20 year olds, it was like 50 year olds. Uh, I guess that's not the age of parents sometimes, whatever, parent year old and kids and us. Uh, and I had a great time watching that movie. So thank you for shouting out to Onward. <laughs> welcome I had the exact same viewing experience um, <laughs> I was one of the little children dancing wow. I was on the Disney cam no I was on my laptop <laughs> but very much enjoyed it all the same all right I can't wait to hear what your guys's top picks are um I will listen to them soon bye guys right. bye, bye enjoy <laughs> thank you thank you <laughs> Uh, did anybody have anything to say about Soul? Because I haven't seen it. <laughs> I liked it. Um, I honestly kind of thought it was a little overstuffed. I mm. love a tight 90-minute runtime, mm. but it felt kind of like almost arbitrary to have like so many elements, like like the the jazz thing is great, and but then like. I don't know why bring the after and before life into it kind of or it's such a wide world like the the world that they build um that it feels like I mean both of both worlds actually they're like their like portrait of New York is like really really cool and then this world that they create in like the other realm is also cool um and it felt kind of weird to be splitting our time between those two things and also the body swap felt like kind of random and tropey to me as well but I mean I was kind of obsessed with the lighting I thought mm. all the like animated lighting was incredible um the way they set the mood for like all the jazz centric scenes and um yet also and like I had an emotional response to it as well but then I saw a tweet do you guys know who this was someone was talking about how they're tired of um the afterlife or like kind of other planes of reality in movies playing on like American bureaucracy how this mm. is a trope that's been done and done again and at first it was kind of funny I feel like in the early days of like Beetlejuice I guess or mm. maybe or like even earlier defending your life from Albert Brooks is exactly yeah that. <laughs> yeah like um it's been done a lot and it's been done really well but at this point it feels a little bit lazy and there's yeah. so many other and it feels a little bit narrow-minded if we're talking about you know like a kind of transcendent realm then why are we so stuck on this like ethnocentric <laughs> uh, I feel like yeah good place probably subverted that about as much as you could I haven't seen soul <laughs> yet but like I think it's hard to do that after the skewering that good place gave it for a solid four years right <laughs> yeah but um, I mean I liked it. it it's like an honorable mention for me yeah I think you you make some really good points there uh I will say I thought it was wild that this film was even made because it doesn't feel like a kid's movie at all to me like I can't I can imagine many kids having issues staying focused and even like knowing what's going on in the movie um it definitely feels like a super mature Pixar that's like um like oh toy story came out like literally however many years ago at this point like 25 or something 
And so now the kids that grew up watching that are now adults. And so we can make movies that can appeal to them. Um, and I can imagine many a corporate Disney exec being like, wait, what do you mean? Like that the J there's Jerry and there's Terry and they're drawn like that. And they're like just very weird ideas with that. Um, I definitely agree that it felt overstuffed. I think that's a good word to put it. There were like lots of things going on. I think you make a good point with it being tropey with the body swap, but uh, let's hop in back into our list. I guess I, I haven't shared my number four yet. So it's going to be me. Uh, Black Bear um, is my number four film. Uh, and the description that IMDb gives me is uh, something like a filmmaker played by Aubrey Plaza joins a couple at a remote uh, at a remote lake house in order to work on her next script and their relationships quickly begin to grind against each other as desire, manipulation, and jealousy fuel how they perceive each other's interactions. Um, except much like Bloody Nose Empty Pockets, it's not about that at all. Um, this is one of those like AB flip side films and I won't let you know, I won't spoil where the film goes, but it is not what I was expecting at all. And it gave me a lot to think about. And I think Aubrey Plaza gives my favorite performance of the year in this. She does her typical deadpan, sarcastic Aubrey Plaza. And then she totally flips it and does something else. And I found it to be very moving where she goes. And um, it it's like what it's, I love the AB flip side of the film because uh, in one section she is subtle and uh it's 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 not one of the more acting is better acting and then almost it's like on the other side it is the more acting is better acting um and the way that those performances play with each other uh really worked for me so um yeah it's been described as Kaufman light and I don't think that gives the film enough credit because I don't think that's really what the film is going for because um, it, it is diving into like medium and what the shape of, of the medium can do to performance and art and the people who create it. And it is like, it is that, but it's also not, um, it, it jumps from tone to tone. Like it's not a thriller, but there are some chilling moments. It's not a comedy, but there were some funny moments. It's not necessarily a heavy film, but there were some really emotional moments. Um, yeah, I just, I was really enraptured by it. And it's one of those that I can't wait to watch again. So um, yeah, my pick's gonna be Black Bear. I, I believe Alicia, you saw it, right? Yeah, um, I enjoyed it. I liked it. Um, weirdly, like afterwards, the more I thought about it, the less I kind of liked it. I, I don't dislike it, but um, I think, you know, it's, I, I think when I was trying to analyze it, a lot of the stuff that I was coming up with was relatively and surprisingly simple and kind of well-tread territory. But at the same time, that's not a problem. Like, I think the experience of watching it was super gripping. And um, I mean, yeah, Aubrey Plaza is utterly insane. Um, the whole cast is really good. And there are there were moments, everything that um, Paola Lazaro said and did, the um, the girl with the bowel issues who is from the walking dead apparently i wish brooke was still here mm. um was like surprising like I, I it was like one of the funniest kind of film moments i've seen this year um 
but and the whole cast is amazing. I don't know if I've said that, obviously. But um yeah, I think that it definitely shares some DNA with Kaufman, but not in any way that deems it Kaufman light. Um the the letterbox discourse for this movie has bugged me because similar to you, I think I was initially like watching it like I watched I'm Thinking of Ending Things, which we will be getting to in a second. Um, and I don't think that that's the way to watch it. Like all of the comments were like, I think I know exactly what this means. And it's like, I agree with you, Alicia. I think it's pretty simple. I think it's fairly straightforward right. in what it means. And so when I dropped like the puzzle box watching out of my head, I got a lot out of like, oh, what does it actually, not what does it mean, but what does it mean for the characters to have been doing this? Mm -hmm. And I still get a lot out of it thinking it in that way. But that's one and of the moments where Letterbox let me down. I That's such a good parallel to draw. And I also think that like, um, what sets it apart from Kaufman is the kind of gender perspective, even though it's not created by, I mean, Aubrey Plaza is a producer, um, but even though it's not directed or written by a woman, um, it definitely touches on a lot of issues, some that are relevant to the Me Too era and just like, the, um, I, I don't, yeah, I don't want to spoil anything. Yeah, I, but, I yeah. don't, I feel like it's not an accident that the cast in the second half is almost primarily like female like mm -hmm. um i won't spoil what they're doing but those characters what they are doing uh and who they are getting their orders from is like um yeah i agree pretty yeah. uh pretty relevant um let's move on to so alicia and i just same brain here Alicia's four three two is my three two one in the exact order. Wow, um, great stuff! Uh, so Alicia, let's share your number four, which is uh, or sorry, no, wait, your number three. No, number four. What what is your number? Oh yes, okay. My number four is your I'm, number three. Yes, I'm getting <laughs> twisted around. Your number four is my number three. Uh, so let's yeah, let's share that. Okay, number four is Kitty Green's The Assistant, um, which is, you know, I think one of the main critiques of it is that, like, it's not a movie. It's almost like a PSA or a documentary or something like that. But um, yeah, boo, boo those people <laughs> because it's incredible. Um, I mean, it again is really relevant unfortunately like i mean it's always been relevant but we're just now kind of putting a light on this type of story um but you can't you can't dismiss it as being any sort of just like kind of putting a camera in front of a real life situation because it is really delicately and carefully told it make sure to empathize with the protagonist and also like it gives attention that needs to be given to a lot of small details um whether it be just like the tedium of uh julia garner's routine um as an assistant 
or like the more sinister elements of that in relation to her boss. And also um, Matthew McFadden basically playing like the like real life version of his succession character, kind of like the there's there's no more like the satire has fallen away. Um, it's just like which character does he play? I haven't seen Succession. Um, he in in oh in, in the, the assistant, assistant, he's the one that she talks to. Who, I guess is an HR. He's, oh God, yeah, yeah, okay. Um, and that's not a spoiler. It's in the trailer, I think. He's but, the guy from um, Pride and Prejudice. Yeah, yeah, that is a major transformation. <laughs> um, sideburns, they they can do a lot. They make you but, sexier. Yeah. <laughs> um. I mean, yeah, it's just a ruthless movie. Um, I think it's so, so important. And I kind of think that everyone should have to see it. I agree. Um, it's my number three. And uh, I thought it was, in in the grand scheme of my list, my top three is of an upper echelon in comparison with, I think, my four through everything else. Um, and the reason that this makes it is that it is so quietly devastating and so self-assured um and i was describing it to a friend um of ours actually teddy um i had a video chat with him the other day and he was asking me like what title should he you know catch up with from the year and um i gave him this and i prefaced it with it's like it's it's john dealman but like far more interesting in my opinion i know i could get canceled for that um because john dillman is obviously a feminist masterpiece and uh i just don't get why it has to be three and a half hours long i mean i get it like it needs to you need to go through every part of her day so that you know why the end is so important but the fact that this is an hour 20 and it is like her whole day laid out in front of you um i think it does such an excellent job at like showing how sometimes you can feel so terrible from just a bunch of little things adding up and I like I think that that's so powerful because there are certainly times when um you know not in the same way but I feel like so overwhelmed by everything going on in my life but I can't express that to anyone because it's like oh well this one thing happened that today and like two hours later, this one thing, which like made me think of this one other thing that's going on in my life. And you sound crazy trying to keep up with everything. And I think this film did a, such a great job of like letting the small, tiny moments add up until you at the end, like I just wanted to sob for her. Um, and that, that final scene like had me emotional and also the HR scene, um, that I guess the actor I didn't know the actor's name but uh hey god his performance is something and that scene is like just so expertly written and directed and acted and edited and that that might be one of my scenes of the year honestly I think you said it so well like I think the assistant does or what what get out did with microaggressions um, is similar to, I mean, well, completely different in tone, what the assistant manages to do with those small things that build up to a point where like, you don't know how to express them to someone. Like they're all, they build up to something so terrible, but like you, you can't tell anyone cause they, 
they'll dismiss them or um you know some will even dismiss this movie for like that very reason which is incredibly frustrating but yeah Arjun did you ever watch The Assistant? Yeah big fan I would have just missed this list it was I think my second or third favorite of the year when I initially watched it really just an awesome movie and man that lead performance is something else Mm, yeah great well Arjun uh give us your number three yeah, absolutely. Let me pull my list back up because I X'd out of it. Unless you want to say it for me. Uh, oh, no, I found it. <laughs> speaking of uh, central performances that uh, that are, I guess, really central to why the film works. Yes. Um, yeah, my, my number three, and this might be my favorite movie of the year. It's so weird to call it my number three. It's the movie I think about the most from this year. It's the movie that stuck with me the most. And it's the movie that I think I just love the most, even though I think the two above it are probably better technical movies. It's Miranda July's Kajillionaire, um, centered around and just an awesome performance from Evan Rachel Wood. And who plays the um, woman that they meet on the plane? Gina, uh, Gina Rodriguez. Gina Rodriguez. Um, this movie I can't get out of my head it is just about so many things it's kind of a coming of age story um for when you're our age I guess would be a weird way to put it I mean there's been so many movies about coming of age in high school and middle school but this puts it on to the idea of having to actually take those coming of age stories and enter the world in some meaningful way um it's about our relationship with our parents it's about our relationship with death and it just has stuck in my mind like a parasite. I, I can't get it out. It is so brilliant. The performances are incredible. And it's just one of my favorite movies of the year that I, I can't stop thinking about. Uh, Kajillionaire, I, I highly recommend trying to seek it out and watch it. I know I'm going to watch it as soon as I can. And really, I wish uh, I could have seen it in the theater. I think it's one of the movies from this year that I most would have missed out on, having seen it on a big screen with a crowd around me, sort of reacting to the weirdness of the story in real time. Uh, but Kajillionaire, my number three. Yeah, I, I caught up with Kajillionaire the other night and I, I almost wish that I had watched it a month ago for this list because like it's changing in my mind as I think about it because it's such a weird movie. It's such a strange wavelength that that movie is on and it took me <laughs> a little bit to get on to its wavelength. Um, once I saw like the soap coming out of the walls and I was like oh oh okay yes yes and um I really I really ended up digging it um I agree I really wish I'd seen this in a theater man like with a full crowd I can't even imagine yeah it's just one of those movies I mean every year you have a couple of those movies where you listen to the people on their way out and they're like what the fuck did I just watch like why did I pay $15 for this while you're just like man I love that movie I don't know what you're talking about and you just know (laughs) this would have been one of those movies and yeah I need to go catch up with the rest of Miranda July's work because sheesh I really loved it and been thinking about it a lot too with Shoplifters um, from 2018 Mm -hmm. if you guys have seen that another similarly themed movie although completely different in tone and style but Kajillionaire, really awesome. I have not watched it yet, but it's like um, pretty much top of my list. Very highly recommend. The The main character's name is Old Dolio, if that gives you any uh, impression <laughs> hey, of what Evan? you're getting yourself into. <laughs> the, the, when they reveal why she's named Old Dolio is one of the funniest scenes. <laughs> and also like it's also really sad and that's like I think one of the best ways to talk about this movie is that it's like incredibly upsetting and also hilarious at the same time 
it's really something else. I mean, the scene in the old man's house, every part of that Mm. I loved. And also a certain scene where Evan Rachel Wood is crawling in the background (laughs) of the frame lives with me in a way I cannot even really explain. Alicia, you got you gotta watch this movie. It's it's so good. The cut to that shot is just <laughs> wow, that's cinema, baby. Who's that behind you? <laughs> um, uh. yeah, Kajillionaire. Good pick, Arjun. Um Alicia, why don't you get us kicked off with your number with your number three, which is my number two, which is Arjun's number seven. Ooh, okay. I'll I'll take the honor of starting us off on I'm Thinking of Ending Things, the uh, inspiration for this podcast, um, directed by Charlie Kaufman, of course. Um, yeah, I mean, we we talked about this one for a long time. I was, I'm not gonna lie, I was not expecting this to be on my best of list. Um, but like, I, I just kind of realized that uh, I can't convince myself otherwise. I have been thinking about this since we watched it. It's one of the most haunting movies I've ever seen. Um, and I, just what it does is so interesting. And I like that there's still so much there beyond the quote unquote puzzle that um, a lot of people, like you said, with Black Bear, try to kind of contain the film's analysis just within like... <laughs> whether or not you solve this puzzle that is non-existent practically but like um yeah I mean and Jesse Buckley is so critical in giving that character dimension um which is the point of the character basically is to kind of struggle with her own dimensions I guess and Jesse Plemons is I mean when I say it's haunting it's because of him like I, I think about that last scene fading to blue like pretty often. I haven't even watched it since then, but I, it's still burned into my mind. Um, and obviously Tony Collette and David Thewlis are like insane, maniacal, like <laughs> good. Um, yeah, just listen to the episode. Yeah, I mean, you know, the reason why this podcast exists, uh, at least the, the reason why I like we, we had been kicking around the idea for a podcast forever. And then it was like, oh my God, there's something to talk about finally. Like something that I'm sure, like whether or not we like it will be interesting to talk about. Um, and I ended up really liking it. Um, uh, it is, I agree. It's something that sticks in my mind. Shots stick in my mind from this, like monologues stick in my mind it's it's a very sticky movie if if Shirley was slippery this one's sticky um and uh I love the supporting performances um David Lewis and um Tony Collette I love the dance scene um which like really like moved me like in a way that I I've always perceived Kaufman's films as while containing emotions like heavy depression and like suicidal ennui and all of these like descriptors, I've never really felt that from his films necessarily, but I really, the, the whole story of a failed artist who never made connections with people and who is imagining this for himself 
like was just so deeply disturbing to me that uh the dance scene being like an ecstatic grasp at those feelings or at like trying to fix those feelings of lack like still haunt it still haunts me um and i really want to read the book (laughs) um maybe that's what i'll read next i've been jonesing for something to read next so uh arjun why is uh why is i'm thinking of ending things your number seven film with you yeah i mean this kind of i don't know it's so hard to wrap my head around this film charlie kaufman is my favorite filmmaker ever probably and i don't really mind spending two hours inside of his head and inside of living with his cultural obsessions and pop culture references and new things that he has to introduce me to and i think it's a great movie but at the end of the day, there's a part of me that thinks I might have liked reading what really smart people had to say about the movie and listening to like that director's roundtable that came out a few weeks ago. I might have enjoyed all that more. And I don't know, there's something just so intangible about the movie that I didn't really feel about the rest of Kaufman's films that kept me from, I mean, every one of his films leading up to this point, with the exception of Anomalies, that would probably be my favorite film from that year, if not second or third. And I don't know. It's a film that I respect so deeply, but don't really love. And I don't know how to reconcile that, but I see why so many people love it because I love so many of his other films and it's just awesome to see this kind of reaction. Um, We will have no Anomalisa slander on this podcast. I love that film. I don't hate Anomalisa. That was just a really good year. (laughs) Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah, if you want to hear more about our thoughts on it, we do have a podcast. It was the first one, so um, probably the roughest one. I don't know. It's probably (laughs) still really rough. Um, But let's move on from that. We're actually going to hear from my buddy Evan, who came on our uh, one of our Noir Vember episodes for Vertigo and Nightcrawler. Um, He hasn't sent it to me yet, so I don't know what he'll say. Um, but let's take a listen. Hey y'all, it's Evan Price. I wanted to thank Caleb for bringing me on again to talk about 2020 in review. Um, Admittedly, this was a year uh, in which I did not see a lot of new movies. Um, It was a year of catch up, a year of quarantine, in which I watched a lot of movies of years past that I had not seen before and never had the time to, and all of a sudden I had the time to. But what I did see this year, um, I did enjoy. And uh, although I'm going to have to play catch up on the year 2020 as well, I wasn't watching a lot of new things. Um, Included in my list though, are a couple of new zombie flicks uh, and other thrillers uh, that I did enjoy. And uh, some of these films uh, may have had their initial release in uh, maybe late 2019, but didn't become available for either streaming or release in the US until this year, 2020. Two zombie films that I think uh, did something uh, fresh for the formula uh, included Hashtag Alive, a South Korean film, and Blood Quantum, Canadian film. Um, Both of them had some fresh takes and uh, interesting scenarios, but Blood Quantum especially stood out with its uh, its social message as well. I'd recommend both of them if you're fans of that genre, but Blood Quantum, I think, takes the cake uh, between the two. Uh, Additionally, I enjoyed Come to Daddy. <laughs> I know that uh, had its uh, release late of last year, but um, when I uh, when it finally became available to me, I loved it. I absolutely did. And 
it is the kind of movie I would love to be involved in. I think that's why. Um, and so as far as wacky thrillers go, I would recommend Come to Daddy. Um, but perhaps the most 2020 movie of the year, I would argue, is the incredibly controversial The Hunt, which I saw recently. Uh, and it didn't stand up to those controversial expectations. Uh, in fact, it was a pretty well-performed, well-paced uh, thriller of sorts, almost a dark comedy. Uh, and I really enjoyed my time with it. And I feel like it's the most 2020 movie of the year, as a prompt from Caleb suggests, uh, because of its political divide that the movie represents. Um, so if for anyone who's looking for um, political controversy in films, The Hunt uh, is, it's just a time. Um, I hope you all had a safe and happy year with the movies. Um, and hey, I'll see you next time. Wow, Evan, such great insight. I uh, really love... <laughs> blank film <laughs> that you mentioned or tv series or whatever uh thanks for sending it in Evan. um alicia <laughs> let's skip your number two because your number two is actually arjun and i's number one so it Ooh, feels like it the film to end on so let's actually go to your number one uh film of the year cool um my number one is none other than eliza hitman's never rarely sometimes always um which was a movie I was like keeping on my radar for, you know, ever since like I had heard about it. And yet it took me until like just what two days ago to watch it. Um, I don't know if that happens to you where sometimes something seems really precious and you're kind of afraid to, <laughs> to watch it. Um, but I mean, it ended up fully living up to the expectations and automatically became my number one. Um, it's, you know, you could compare it to the assistant in the way that it is a very simple and true look at, um, something really upsetting and, uh, like the female experience, but, um, and also Arjun, <laughs> something's going on with Arjun. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Yeah, I've got to transfer. I've got to transition to mobile. I got to drive to my parents' house. But continue, please. <laughs> um, but I mean, yeah, the the performances by Sydney Flanagan and um, Tully Ryder are uh, completely ground the film, and like they do so much with so little. Um, not not saying that they're given little because of any sort of like incompetence, because this is incredibly competently made movie and um the like the relationship between the two main characters um is shown with so many layers and uh whenever like another layer is revealed in just like the most subtle way it makes you want to cry mm -hmm. and also something that bothers me i think in some coming of age films is there can be a lot of silence and melancholy as a way to like in kind of a self-serious mode um, to just like try and brand itself as a prestige indie film. But I think it makes sense in this uh, situation because I mean, they also show moments where like they are teenage girls. Um, they're like eating and like joking about what their food looks like. <laughs> um, but yeah, Raw Honest simply told so much um, 
on every level and really great at showing like the kind of simple discomfort, like long periods of discomfort, um, whether it be physical or um, not. And also like the clinical nature of a lot of um, moments in like her trying to get the um, abortion, the central abortion. But I, I don't know, I'm just, I don't even know what I'm saying. It's just like, it's just so good in the most raw way. I think that's really well put, Alicia. Um, this is the film that I like, ah, oh man, like another one that I really wish I had revisited before this episode um, because I found it to be really powerful when I first watched it. And it's just, it's one of those that like, when I watched more and more things that are fresher in my mind, it kind of got pushed to the side. Um, unfairly so because I think it's like you're saying it's so raw and it's so willing to be uncomfortable but not in an exploitative way um I think while the the titular scene the never rarely sometimes always seen is like the one that probably deservedly gets talked about a lot the image that sticks in my head um is when i i Sydney Flanagan's the main, the, yeah. the girl needs to get an abortion and Tally Ryder's the cousin, right? Mm -hmm. um, when they hold hands. I know. Um, that like tears, like it broke me. And uh, and that, that just that image, like still kind of makes me emotional thinking about the implications of what's going on in that scene and the love and the like sacrifice being made. And uh, it's, it's very powerful. Really good pick, Alicia. I think while you were saying that, it, it made me realize what it is about the use of kind of quiet and unspoken moments that I appreciate is because all those moments are very deliberately showing kind of this language, like an unspoken language that a lot of women have and experience like in relation to men or anybody or with each other, like people sharing the same experience and like certain things happening or seeing certain things that like um, automatically bring to mind like, oh, this is the scenario I'm in or um, like kind of an immediate understanding of uh, the situation as something familiar. And like, this is how I'm gonna deal with it. This is how I've dealt with it in the past. Like um, so many moments between the cousins where you can see them, you know, saying to each other with their eyes, like, this is how we need to get what we need. Like, this is what we're going to do. Mm. But they both already know exactly what, like, the other is saying without saying it. Mm. Uh, Arjun, can you contribute at all to the discourse or are you lost to a... Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, where world. are you? <laughs> I'm currently in an elevator. Yeah, I, I completely agree. It would have been just off I think I had it on my top 10 list when I was like all of this just like so and I wanted to give some love to everything you just said just so wonderfully said 10 out of 10. You broke up for a lot of that but um I heard you complimenting me so like that's fine yeah um maybe <laughs> yeah, when, no, you, I, when you talk 
really like just just missed my top 10 and it's it's really so good if i'd seen it probably in like november i probably would have squeezed it on but you know it just feels a little distant now but an amazing film mm. Um, well, let's go ahead and, and hop into the final film that we have to talk about. We've been waiting this whole year to talk about, ladies and gentlemen, it's First Cow. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> um, we've, we've all danced around talking about this film for a while. We were thinking about having a First Cow episode so that Brooke would be forced to watch it. Um, and we ended up not because we figured we'd talk about it here, but... But yeah, this is, um, does anybody want to set it up or, uh, or should I go ahead and set it up? Go ahead. Uh, <laughs> should okay. Arjun's iPhone set it up? Yeah, Arjun, I think your audio quality might be better when you don't have a video on. Oh. Yeah, that, that works. Can you hear me? Can you hear me well now? Yes. Better, yeah. Yeah, I, it, it's been a while since I watched First Cal, and I'm definitely going to get a chance to revisit it because it is so, by far, my favorite film of the year. Maybe not my favorite film of the year, but the film that I was most impressed by this year. I think it is just so well-crafted at every level. Just so beautiful. And I don't know, those two lead performances have stuck in my head. And those oily cakes, even six mm. months later, just make me hungry and make my mouth water just thinking about them. It is such a tactile film that really just captures everything so well about the anti-capitalist themes and just the themes about friendship that the movie's trying to portray. And I cannot say enough good things about First Cow. I think it is by far and away the movie of the year so far, although obviously there's a couple ones where we'll be catching up in the next two months. But man, First Cow, uh, truly an achievement. Yeah, it was the last movie I watched in theaters, if you don't count The Hunt, which I don't want to. Um, <laughs> Um, and it is a memory that I really kind of hold dear. Um, I wrote a little thing about it because that's how I want to get my films out or my feelings out for this film. Um, First Cow is a masterpiece. Uh, quiet, slow, and sure-handed, the film has so much to say about gender, race, colonialism, male friendship, capitalism and exploitation, etc., without explicitly saying much. Kelly Reichart isn't preaching or even coming from a persuasive angle. Instead, she deftly grounds the American pioneering spirit in a vat of true friendship, honest representation of manifest destiny, gritty realism, and slow cinema. What erupts is something special, moving, and wholly unique, a damning indictment of the evils of American capitalism. Maybe that's what I'll ultimately pull from the film. All players in the American capitalist game have inevitable fates that they can't escape, especially within context of immigration, colonialism, and race. Um, I loved it so much. Uh, I was not the greatest fan of Meek's Cutoff, um, the only other Kelly Reichardt film that I've seen. Um, and I don't know if it's because I went into that with high expectations. A lot of people call that like, one of the masterpieces of the 2010s decade. And um, maybe I just wasn't in the mood for something so slow. And I, I just, something about it didn't click for me where, uh, whereas something about First Cow like really clicked for me. I was so sucked in. Um, and I think, uh, I think that the, the intro has something to do with it. The first scene um, really drew me in. Uh, and I think it paints the rest of the movie in a really interesting light, especially because it doesn't necessarily have anything to directly do with the rest of the movie. Um, 
Yeah, is that Alicia. the girl from is that the girl from Arrested Development? Shawcat, baby. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I think the first scene is really interesting. I don't think I've given it nearly enough thought because it's so clearly like super deliberate because it is kind of jarring. But at the same time, subconsciously, I think it sets you up in a really smart way. And it, I mean, when I think about it, it kind of delivers like most of the central themes of the movie in such a like kind of understated manner. Mm. Um, but I mean, yeah, it's inc- like obviously everything you said 100%. Um, and it's just really something special to see such a like a soft male character having such a um like special relationship with another man and um like there are a lot of kind of uh subtle comedic moments too between the two of them that are just really sweet like Mm -hmm. the the whole movie I mean it how how is it all these things how is it like you said Mm -hmm. like a damning like condemnation of so many um issues with like this world and yet at the same time I kind of just want to hug the whole thing and like (laughs) yeah um yeah and and it doesn't it doesn't feel overstuffed somehow like it has all these ideas but it, it doesn't feel like it's cramming them down your throat yeah um, but I did want to be cramming a funnel cake down my throat. Oh my god! Mm. Um, yeah, I also can still smell. <laughs> can smell this movie. <laughs> uh, yeah, very. I like what Arjun said about it being tactile. Uh, mm-hmm. I can still like feel the squish of the mud. Yeah, and, and the little mushrooms. Yeah, it's uh, it's great. It, it just like it, it it's comfy to me like just mm-hmm. thinking about it I really I need to rewatch it let's can we still do a first cow pod can we yeah. make Brooke watch it <laughs> I would have to do that <laughs> <laughs> um well great guys uh I, that's it I think we did our uh, top 10 episode of 2020 are we gonna do honorable mentions oh yeah yeah or, yeah sure Arjun... wanna, he takes off about mangrove real quick because I know we both had it on our list oh and... my god did I skip oh. that oh wait yeah oh, that's my number no. seven and we skipped it because that's on me ah that's (laughs) my bad yeah mangrove please talk about mangrove arjun's number two and alicia's number seven arjun you go um yeah i don't know what exactly to say except for that steve mcqueen is just one of the premier filmmakers that we have making movies for us right now widows was one of my favorite movies two years ago when it came out and then suddenly this year in the same year that he got knighted by the queen steve mcqueen decided to drop five absolutely perfect little whatever you want to call them movies tv episodes i don't really give a shit mangrove was one of the best things i saw this year rooted with amazing performances just gorgeous shot composition of the likes i haven't seen since probably last year with movies like parasite just the way he captures that community and the way that he has those cops burst down into community spaces while people are having events it just creates this tension in the movie that is so nerve-wracking at all times it's just every peaceful moment that McQueen gives you the next moment could be knocked down by an absolute terror and it is just such an incredibly incredibly potent movie that just gets exactly what McQueen was going for across I I, I have not stopped thinking about this movie for the past couple weeks since I saw it and I it's just an incredible piece of filmmaking 
Uh, yeah, um, pretty much all that. I mean, it's gorgeous to look at and it's like pretty straightforward in a lot of ways. The, the kind of um, courtroom drama of it is just so, um, you know, it's almost an old fashioned approach, but it's the most satisfying approach. Just like watching this case unfold and you're kind of um, like, you wanna like get up on your feet whenever there's, you know, like a win on their end. And um, Letitia Wright is like, just like such a, just so great to watch. I mean, everybody is. Um, I, yeah, it's really hard to talk about this because it it's just kind of a very well-told story. And it's also worth noting that, you know, like this is a story that hasn't been told as much as it should. And that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, we talked and uh, sort of chided at Chicago 7, the trial of Chicago 7, the Sorks movie, quite a mm. bit on episode this year. And basically, this is just the good version of the movie. A lot of the same themes, a lot of the same sort of prescient stylistics that, you know, make you realize why these things are so prescient. Um, and a perfect movie for 2020 that is actually a good movie, unlike Trial of the Chicago 7. <laughs> mm. um, I meant no disrespect, Sir Steve McQueen. Um, by forgetting to talk about yeah, it. Yeah, you better grow. Um, uh, yeah, because I do think that uh, Small Axe might, like none of his, none of the films are on my list, but I think that collectively they might be the best achievement, the greatest achievement of 2020 um, in any maybe entertainment medium. Um, it's wild just how well the pieces of cinema interact with each other in crafting this entire narrative about the West Indian community in London that I had no clue like about their subculture, about their struggles, about anything. And like you said, Alicia, about it's like stories that haven't really been told before. And there are some phenomenal stories. Um, Arjun, I think you make a good point. Mangrove is way better than Try of the Chicago 7. Um, I'm glad that y'all included it here. Um, once again, my apologies to Sir Steve McQueen, who I'm sure is listening right now. Uh, but yeah, um, any other final thoughts about this year in film, guys? I can give two things. I mean, this isn't film, this is TV, I guess. Like you said, I really didn't watch too much TV this year, but I absolutely loved the little TV that I did watch. Maybe I should be watching more TV, but um i may destroy you on hbo was incredible i don't want to give anything away but it's pretty flawless piece of entertainment um and way back last january season 10 of curb your enthusiasm is the funniest thing i watched this year and i rewatch episodes of it all the time and it's hilarious um larry david does something that is like almost lubitsch-esque uh and or billy wilder-esque like truly a masterpiece of comedy i think and both those TV shows, uh, both those seasons, I guess, that I watched were absolutely brilliant. So TV, shout out. <laughs> Man, I need to watch both of those now that I have HBO for the first time in my life. I May Destroy You is one of the best things I've ever seen in my life, like hands down. Well, <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah. Wow, I need to bump that up my watch list, dang. Um, my TV recommendation would be Ted Lasso. Um, what a just hug. 
that's a it's a hug of a show and i it made me i'm like usually not one for like like good feeling comfort watches i'll watch sad comfort watches all the time but like just like i i roll my eyes i tend to at least at like happy things that are just pretty happy and goodwill and feelings and stuff that i usually just don't get into that however ted lasso like had me from the first scene and I loved every single character. I was rooting for them. Like Ted Lasso is just one of the balms of uh, 2020. And I'm sure for the rest of my life, I'll be revisiting it. Do you have any thoughts on the rather topical issue of Jason Sudeikis' personal life come to light today? What's that? Um, Olivia Wilde seen uh, potentially dating Harry Styles. What if this is just because of Don't Worry Darling, okay? What if? (laughs) <laughs> i, I don't know dating. why but this really freaks me i don't like it i really don't like it it feels weird to me i'd rather him i'd rather him be with uh, dakota johnson oh okay i don't hate that but yeah <laughs> Caleb, olivia wilde and jason sudeikis have been together for like a decade and i'm pretty sure they have a kid or two together yeah and, and she was at a wedding with harry styles holding hands <laughs> with harry styles <laughs> damn <laughs> Uh, I mean, come on, like, no. That would be that would be pretty thematically re- like relevant to Ted Lasso. I don't know if y'all have seen it, but oh, that's what I, not yet. I was hearing that, but I, I haven't seen Ted Lasso, so maybe it's time to check it out. Art imitates. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're right. Um, well, guys, I think that's it. That's we're gonna wrap it up here. Thanks for listening uh, to this podcast generally and this episode specifically. Um, yeah, uh, I guess any final thoughts? We already asked that. Nothing more. I, I kind of want to say my honorable mentions. Oh, yeah, yeah, For yeah. a peace of mind. Yeah. I also it. could list all the movies that I didn't get to watch yet for a peace of mind, but I won't do that because um, there are a lot of them. Just know that if something wasn't on my list, it might be because I haven't watched it. But my honorable, me- honorable mentions, a lot of them were uh, talked about, like Time, Black Bear, um, Shirley, Wolves of Snow Hollow, Soul. We didn't um, even mention time. Tomorrow. What? You, you just said time, and it made me think that none of us, I thought one of us had it on the list. Yeah, who was, I guess, oh yeah, Arjun, it was your honorable mention, right? I did not say it as an honorable mention, but I loved time. I, I actually left all documentaries off my list. Um, mm. Don't know why, I just felt like it would be easier, and I liked a lot of documentaries this year. Um, Boy State, Time, both. Yeah, in- Boy mm. State. Um, yeah, I liked time. I found it a little bit confusing which feels like such a stupid thing to complain about but I mean emotionally it's like very successful <laughs> and um it's an amazing story and uh I also liked The Lodge you know a lot of people don't but I liked it and um I also am a huge Birds of Prey like um I I will I, I will speak for Birds of Prey as much as I possibly can. Mm. For some reason, I've watched it like four times, five times since it came out. Um, I really love it. And it's just like, I don't know, it's just so fun. Um, mm. And I like that it lets Harley Quinn be like a person. It just mm. feels really refreshing to see like moments that don't make me cringe at like girl power. Mm. and then um promising young woman i finally got to watch it the other night and um i really liked it Uh, like a few very a few problems but Mm -hmm. i think it's awesome 
I'm seeing it Wednesday at the drive-in. I am so excited. <laughs> oh my God. Oh, Burnham we, High for life. How good yes. was he? he okay. <laughs> he's pretty great. He's pretty great. <laughs> yep. I have this like secret inclination that he's going to be like one of the next great movie stars. Like he's only 27 years old still. It's crazy. But yeah. What? Is he really? He feels like. Wow. He feels like someone who should be like 38. Yeah. He, he feels like famous. such an emblem of like a different era. era yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. He was getting famous when we were like 12, when he was like 16. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah. Yeah. Wow. He's great. Um, he's doing doing all the music for the sesame street movie that's coming out next year wait Whoa. really yeah <laughs> good for him get, oh get my god back. uh my quick shout outs would be let them all talk steven soderbergh um really underseen and underrated film it feels like an eric romer film to me just set on a cruise ship and it's about uh bourgeois americans instead of bourgeois french people um well some of them uh <laughs> And uh, I, yeah, I think that all the performances were great in that. And um, it's really, it just barely missed my top 10 actually. Uh, and also Possessor, I would shout out Possessor. I thought it was a really great genre piece, maybe a little too humorless for my taste, but uh, another good Christopher Abbott performance. Any last minute shout outs, Arjun, before we hit the hay? I got nothing. All right, there it is. Uh, I'm thinking of capping things off. I'm thinking of ending things. uh, Starting a new year. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) We have thought about a lot of things this year. (laughs) Yes. Here's to a year of little to no thought. I wish. Yeah. (laughs) 